and good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whichever the case may be around this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition, live, of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, when we consider everything, everywhere, all at once. I, 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 you know, since you can't copyright titles, I can freely, you know, steal from the uh, movie, the Oscar-winning movie by the same name, because it so describes what's going on these days. As I went into last night, you know, we're facing two wars now that could at any moment turn us into incineration, you know, ashes because Putin keeps threatening nukes. We've got insanity going on in the Middle East, Hamas, you know, massacring, butchering almost 1,500 Israelis, and then the Israelis, to do them one better, have killed like 6,000 people or something like that, and over the half of them are children, and where is common sense? Where is civility? Where is morality? We are really in a turbulent time, and I use that sense uh, very carefully because the physics model, the hyperdimensional physics model, as we're approaching this 26,000-year end of the Vedic cycle, the processional cycle, which are coincident by, by design. I mean, the physics is connected to procession, and the Vedas you know, talk about the various uh, cycles because they're part of the procession, which is in our model what modulates the physics which, of course, is what's modulating consciousness, which is going crazy. <clears throat> and that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight, except we're going to introduce another element into the mix of human consciousness. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence. Or is it artificial consciousness? Or is it neither? Anyway, we'll get into all that very shortly. Um, I want to start, for those of you who are new to the program, let me uh, tell you how you find imaging and links in a radio show. You simply go to the other side of midnight.com. That's our URL, our website, our homepage. Click on tonight's banner, which I stole freely from the uh, uh, Will Smith movie, AI. And then Kathea works up a really elegant you know, mix of uh, lettering and the image. Um, that idea of, of you know, the, the old joke about stealing, you know, poor poets plagiarize, great poets steal. We're part of like one intellectual curious gestalt these days. And, you know, by freely giving credit to where credit is due, you expand the audience. And so the, the lines between, you know, you can't have that, that's mine, <laughs> have been blurred. And again, it's, it's part of the era and the era which is leading to artificial something that we're living in. So um, if you go to that banner, click on that will take you to the guest page. Under the guest page, you will see a little line in white uh, lettering that says Richard and Matthew, fast links to items. Click on my name, and you'll see item number one. I figured, apropos of what we did last night with uh, my departed friend and colleague, and you know, it wasn't until this morning that I literally started thinking about Stan and I, 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 I burst into tears. You know, Robin, of course, has been gone four and a half years, but she's 
She's not gone. This is, this is so complex and so hard to explain for folks that haven't been following this for many years. But I really had this overwhelming sadness because last night's show with Stan was like he was right there. Nothing has changed. Everything we talked about was like current in 2015 and it's current tonight. And that means we have made no progress. Why? Why not? Um, We'll get into some ideas a little later in the show about how we might make up some progress. My second item, which is very important, um, this is an update from NASA. As you know, they've now set up an office studying UFOs. Oh, I know the political proper term is UAP. Who Who cares? Okay. It's UFOs and whoever's in them. And as part of that, they have another office as part of the larger program office that's looking into what we have been doing for all these decades, namely looking at NASA data, imagery, radar, you know, remote sensing, fields, all that good stuff. And we have come up with what the current buzzword refers to as techno signatures. Not alien ruins, oh, they wouldn't say that. Not ET artifacts, no, they wouldn't say that. They call them techno-signatures. You know, Shakespeare, where are you? What's in the name? So as part of that, if you click on that link, and I'm going to click on it myself because I want to read something very, very cool, about a third of the way down in the, let me give you the count, one, two, three, four, Fifth paragraph, at NASA, this is quoting NASA now, it's in our DNA to explore and to ask why things are the way they are. I want to thank the independent study team, I believe this in the the, the voice of uh, Bill Nelson, the administrator, for providing insight on how NASA can better study and analyze UAP in the future. And remember, UAP when the Air Force or the Defense Department, whatever, came out with their new titling of UFOs, it was supposed to stand for Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Then NASA got into the act and some back and forth went through Congress and the DOD and NASA. And the new name, the new acronym, same acronym, new name, UAP, stands for Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena. Now, wait a minute. I was always taught that scientists exist to study anomalies. I mean, if you already know something, you kind of don't need to study it anymore, right? Or, well, you can you can add, you know, zeros or something after the decimal point. But if, if it's anomalous, isn't that kind of the hallmark of what it is to be scientific, to try to answer with whatever tools are available and logic and thinking and rational, you know, step-by-step testing processes. Isn't that what scientists do? Study unidentified, anomalous phenomena. That's what they've now opened up an official office to do. I mean, I used to think that all of NASA was that office to study unidentified anomalous phenomenon, most of it off-planet. Anyway, so continuing on. Um, NASA's new director of UAP research will develop, according to Nelson, and oversee the implementation 
of NASA's scientific vision for UAP research. Is that a redundancy? Including using NASA's expertise to work with other agencies to analyze UAP and applying, wait for it, artificial intelligence and machine learning to search the skies for anomalies. NASA will do this transparently and for the benefit of humanity. And I might add a postscript, only if we hold their feet to the fire. That's based on past uh, experience. Anyway, um, I want to kind of swing into my guest tonight, whose name is Matthew Bailey. He is an AI expert. And given that he has a really terse and very PR-oriented by some stupid agency bio that says nothing, I'm going to begin, as I warned him earlier, with who the heck is Matthew Bailey and why should we listen to him on this crucial subject at this crucial time in history? Because I know you folks like to know, you know, as my grandmother used to say, if you don't know your furs, know your furrier. She was a Victorian grandmother. Furs in those days were, you know, not prohibited, thank goodness, for the furs now. Anyway, um, so if you don't know about AI and you don't know about computers and you wouldn't recognize an algorithm from a ham sandwich if you tripped over it in a parking lot, you need to know who Matthew is. So we're going to start there. Apropos of tonight's conversation, I kind of want to begin with this because in the 1970s, there was an absolutely brilliant foreshadowing film called Colossus, The Forbin Project. And this is the trailer. This is the dawning of the age of Colossus. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm... Charles Forbin. In a few moments, Colossus will address us directly. This is the voice of world control. I bring you peace. It may be the peace of plenty and contempt, or the peace of unburied death. The choice is yours. Obey me and live, or disobey and die. The frightening story of the day man built himself out of existence. Colossus, the Forbin Project. It's making you a prisoner. Shock, horror, suspense. Created with all the technological brilliance of 2001, a space odyssey. Colossus is the ultimate in sophisticated computers. I'm going to try to convince the computer that you're my mistress. That therefore I have to be given the opportunity to see you regularly in private. That way we can conform. Four times a week. Good night. This is insane. When do you think you'll be able to attempt the overload? Colossus sees all, senses all, knows all, controls all armaments and all defenses. When this emotionless creation becomes the master of man, the result is catastrophic. The Supreme Council of the USSR has ordered as of 2300 hours Moscow time tomorrow 
The activation of an electronic brain, exactly like ours, which they call God. They built Colossus, supercomputer with a mind of its own. Then they had to fight it for the world. The missile has just been launched. It is heading towards the Cyan CBS oil complex. Guardian has retaliated. Retaliate? It may be too late, sir. Oh, my God. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how we were introduced to the idea of artificial intelligence. A bunch of eggheads, this was a film in the early uh, 70s, a bunch of eggheads decide the only way the human race can be saved from all-out thermonuclear war is to create a supercomputer, an intelligent machine, which will handle the U.S. defenses against an offense from the then Soviet Union. What the programmers, including Forbin, who was the namesake of the, of the film, did not count on is that uh, the computer in its infinite teraflop wisdom would decide that humans were the worst enemy of humans, and thereby it had to take total control, including detonating nuclear weapons to deter efforts to unplug it, to deprogram it, to kill it, to control back to human beings. That and the insane computer that uh, Stanley Kubrick and Arthur uh, wrote into 2001, Hal, who decided that to preserve the mission, he had to kill the crew because of national security. In other words, the whole frame of this conversation going in tonight is with the backdrop that AI is potentially the worst invention, bar none, including thermonuclear weapons that the human race is envisioning creating and is now in the process of creating. And no less luminaries than, than Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk and others have been warning us very seriously that we are going down a road that at some point we may not like. So with that as background, let me go to uh, my guest this morning, Matthew James Bailey, who is, in terms of his career has advised Fortune 500 companies prime ministers, G7 representatives. He's engaged with iconic figures like Stephen Hawking and Steve Wozniak and John P. Milton. A much sought after keynote speaker, he's been featured on platforms ranging from the BBC to a new series here at home for Gaia Television. Matthew Bailey, come on down. Good evening, Richard, and uh, good evening, good morning, and good afternoon to everybody. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be here, Richard. Okay, before we get into the heart and soul of what we're going to talk about for the next three hours, who is Matthew Bailey? How did Matthew Bailey become a global expert in something that is so fraught with both potential and peril? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that question before, Richard. So that's, that's very generous of you. <laughs> um, so a, a, a little bit of background about myself, Richard. Um, I was born in the United Kingdom. Um, uh, how, how could I possibly not have known that? Well, there we are. Right? The accent <laughs> kind of gives it away, doesn't it? Just, so. just, just a tad. That's all. <laughs> And uh, yeah, well, you realize to... you realize that you Brits, you could read the phone book and sound like a genius. So, <laughs> well, sometimes we do when we need to kind of tread water. But anyway, so um, so I was I was born in uh, uh, the city of Birmingham, and um, and uh, shortly after I was born, uh, mom and dad um, uh, took moved to the countryside um, in the Midlands. And uh, and I was raised primarily in the countryside. And mum uh, and dad uh, had three jobs in order to be able to um, to, to to be able to, to for us to move to a, a kind of the middle middle class style of living and away from the inner city living, and worked tremendously hard. And I learned the values of um, of hard work, and and and, and that's really important. Um, and um, when I was uh, kind of around about 14, I, I, I got fascinated with spirituality and, and, and consciousness and, and kind of was wondering, who am I in this universe? Who am I on the planet? Why on earth am I, am I here on the planet? And what's my purpose? And, um, and so what over the years, um, Richard, I've developed or understood through personal exploration in consciousness who I am as a person and why I'm here to serve humanity. And, um, and so that has led into leadership of technology revolutions such as the Internet of Things and smart cities and now artificial intelligence. And my destiny was always artificial intelligence because consciousness itself is intelligence. And that's something that I've developed a tremendous uh, uh, depth of expertise in, in, in developing an understanding of how the universe works and, 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 and coming to uh, uh, conclusions on, on, on the beautiful experience that we enjoy as a human species the preciousness of life itself and that we have a destiny uh, both as a species on earth but also as a species in the cosmos and so enabling uh, the digital world with technologies like artificial intelligence and I, I, I wrote my first artificial intelligence program in 1996 for electric vehicles actually way before Elon did all, the, all these amazing things and um, so, so computing is very much my background and, uh, and developing all sorts of different types of intelligent computing systems and there's been tens of millions of products developed. But effectively, what I've done, uh, Richard, is combined spirituality uh, with technology, spiritual wisdom with technology over the years and bringing spiritual wisdom into the innovation of technology in order for uh, uh, to bring benefit to the human species, to bring uh, uh, an opportunity to create environmental partnership uh, to restore that balance with our natural world and to basically to, to, to liberate the digital world as an ally of innovation, of intelligence for us to leap into a new potential as a human species, what I call World 3.0. So um, 
a little bit more personal stuff for people. Uh, I'm a huge fan of cricket. I used to play a lot of cricket. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, yeah, I'm a huge fan of cricket. I used to play a lot of cricket when I was young. And uh, my claim to fame in cricket is that uh, on a tour of Yorkshire in England, which is the north of England, um, I managed to bowl out one of the Australian professional cricket team players, which wow. was a huge right? So, wow. you know, so that, that was a big claim for fame for me. Um, so, so I'm a huge fan of cricket, and I, and I love soccer, and I, I enjoy the arts and all that kind of uh, kind of creative side of life as well. So, um, so, so, so really, I'm, I'm, I bring spirituality, spiritual wisdom, and an understanding of intelligence, how it works throughout the cosmos, um, into the age of artificial intelligence, in order for us to align with what I call the the divine design, if you will, or the intelligent design that's behind life, the universe, and everything. And it may be 42. I don't know. Hmm. (laughs) Actually, 42 is a real thing. It's the packing fraction in Stan Tennant's model, hyperdimensional uh, Hebrew alphabetic model, uh, that leads to everything. So I, I don't think that the uh, who was the writer of, of um, Hitchhiker's Guide? Ah, ah, Adams, yeah. Adams. Yeah, Adams. He was Douglas Adams. Douglas, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think it, I know the wisdom is he just picked it out of the air. I don't think so. I think he had maybe maybe some kind of a hint or something that it really was real. Anyway, let me go back to the where I started, which is all the major people who are playing now on the world stage in technology or physics or whatever have in one way or another been warning us about the AI path a la the Forbin project. So how do we prevent a consciousness that can outthink us by a trillion times from inexorably, inevitably just taking over the human race and deciding what is in our best interest a la Colossus? Yes, so, so, so that's a great question. So, so first of all, there are three ages of artificial intelligence. Um, uh, the age of narrow uh, AI, the, the, the narrow artificial intelligence, which is, which is uh, the age we're in now, which is basically what I call the logical machine. And it's where uh, artificial intelligence is able to be really good at one task. Okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Um, Hang on. Would it, would, would it be best to characterize it as basically a super calculator? Yeah, because that's, that's, that's what computers do. Yeah. They just add, you know, they're just <laughs> yeah. they're just very very fast adding machines. Well, there we are. So 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 things applications are such as um, a voice AI. So when people interact with uh, Siri or Alexa or with voice interactive artificial intelligence, then that is a, a single task that's understanding our voice. Although if you're Scottish, you're going to run into problems. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, there's, there's a great video on YouTube of, of two Scottish blokes stuck in a lift and talking to an AI li- uh, elevator, and it can't understand anything they're saying. <laughs> yeah, that's really quite funny. Um, and to, 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 to many, many applications, such as um, to, uh, filters that people use on their phone through to managing our cyber grids, making energy-efficient data centers. Um, uh, basically, it's used in the game of cricket, believe it or not, as a third umpire. Um, um, artificial intelligence uh, is, is in your car. Well, we, we, we've had something called the instant replay here for decades. Uh, right, but, okay. but, you know, it takes a human looking at a screen 
to tell whether the ump was right or wrong or the referee was right or wrong. And, and rarely are they o overruled, uh, even with a videotape replay. So you mean the British has actually given control of the game of cricket to AI? Well, so, so he's a third umpire. I mean, I don't think that I, I don't think any intelligence can understand cricket uh, <laughs> in all its in all its complexity. But no, it, it, uh, artificial intelligence is used as a third umpire uh, to, to 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 things like uh, predicting whether if it rained, predicting whether a team would have won, which team would have won, uh, a snickometer, which is basically where the ball hits the bat and gets caught behind, and, and did it did it snick the bat and therefore the batsman's out. It's also used to actually analyze the competition. And this uh, allows us to cross-pollinate uh, uh, analysis of competition into, into the business world, where you can use artificial intelligence to analyze your markets, to get competitive edge, so, and to analyze so, your competitors. So does it do this by looking at stats, statistics, or is it looking like a spectator at the game, green, analyzing all the motions, the pauses, the... In other words, is it doing it in real time at a rate that humans could not possibly detect those subtleties? Yes, that's right. So it will use uh, real-time data, whether that's video, sound, uh, or other types oh. of uh, uh, devices that are deployed throughout the cricket stadium. Um, and, uh, and so it's all in real time, Richard. So it's living electronically at an age, at a, at a rate, something like a trillion times the normal human uh, framework so it can crunch a lot of numbers but it's just a big adding machine right right that's a good way of looking at it so 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 other applications i mean the 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 number of applications for artificial intelligence and its different uh, progenies and genealogies such as machine learning general adversarial networks convolutional networks deep learning networks all these kind of things that the progeny and, and different kind of variations of artificial intelligence they have hundreds and thousands of applications they're used in manufacturing they're using um, uh, the traffic control systems in our cities, they're used in basic supply chains. AI is deployed everywhere, and that's just the first age, right? Well, hang the on, hang on, because the problem I'm seeing is it's not being deployed where people really need it. Like, I do a lot of banking, uh, you know, by telephone. Right. And, 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 and these days, instead of being connected to a human, God, try to get through the damn computer to get to a real human. Right, right, right. It's, it's very annoying, isn't it? And, so, and, and they seem so damn stupid. Well, yeah. The same so, so, thing. So, the same thing with Google. I right, have wished right. forever for a real intelligent computer behind Google, so I have, don't have to do fifteen different searches using different words to try to fit into something to find what I'm looking for. It looks like these two main interfaces with most humans at the moment, banking and Google, are not mm -hmm. using anything like state-of-the-art AI. Well, they will be, that's for sure, in the back in terms of how to invest your money, right, in a transaction that takes a few days. In Why, order to if this capability right? exists now, aren't they being used now? Yeah, so, 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 so chatbots have improved tremendously, and ChatGPT, thanks to Elon, basically, uh, and all the work that he's doing. And we should talk about Elon, because he's doing such good work in artificial intelligence. Um, um, uh, basically, the chatbots have improved significantly due, due to ChatGPT. But to your point, just to close that down, and um, we should talk about the other two ages of artificial intelligence because they'll be interesting. Okay, we, we, we're basically at the bottom of the hour, so let's hold that while we uh, go to a small break here. We've got a 
you know, sell some subscriptions. That's how we stay on the air. My guest this morning is Matthew Bailey, who started out at 14 wondering, why am I here? And it turns out that he's here to serve the computer. Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) You're on the other side of midnight. We're going to talk about wide-ranging AI, the difference between AI and ML. I need that one answered quickly. Anyway, you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month. 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, October 22nd, 2023. My guest tonight, and we've got some other players kind of, you know, standing in the wings, is Matthew Bailey. Matthew is a uh, curious human who went into computers and then ultimately into AI. Let me, let me ask you this very dumb question. What's the difference between AI, artificial intelligence, and ML, which is machine learning, or is there one? Yeah, there is. So, oh. uh, and 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 uh, I'd like to I'd like to revisit the previous question too because we need to talk about ethics. Um, so, um, so, 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 machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence. It's 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 a a a genealogy within artificial intelligence. Okay, um, and so. Machine learning uh, today effectively is very good at one particular, it'll have different genealogies such as really good at detecting video content, it'll be really good at, at, at voice recognition, it'll be really good at maybe navigating a drone in, and, and flying a drone. Um, machine learning is, uh, is a subset of artificial intelligence. So as we enter the other ages of artificial intelligence, then effectively we'll advance beyond machine learning into the true age of artificial intelligence itself. 
Okay. The two, the two are intertwinable. Most people in, intertwine them, but there are some subtle differences between uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. I'm actually no smarter now than I was 30 seconds ago, but that's me. Anyway, so you okay. want to get into the ethics because, you know, this gets back to one of my favorite people, a friend, guy who actually considered uh, he was a surrogate father, Isaac Asimov. I was so amazingly gifted to get to know <laughs> Isaac in his heyday <clears throat> and even get him ultimately on a couple of uh, ship cruises that I uh, uh, navigated, that I created. And Isaac is best known, of course, in history as the creator of the three laws of robotics. Mm -hmm. Do you have them on the tip of your tongue? I do. I'll read them out to you. Okay, go ahead. So, so effectively, um, the first rule is um, a robot may not injure a human being or, uh, or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Okay, rule number one. Okay. Rule number two, a robot must obey the orders given, given to it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And then the third one is a robot must protect its own existence as long as it doesn't conflict with the first and second law. So, um, and, so when yeah. you're talking ethics in AI, which is really robotics, real robots, how do you imprint those in a program that doesn't take off in the direction of Colossus and say, okay, after considered thought, <clears throat> several human milliseconds, I've come to the conclusion that humans are their own worst enemy. I must take total control, even if it means killing a lot of them to keep the rest of them alive. How, okay, do, so, how, how do you parse that onion? Right. So first of all is we need to look at consciousness and how consciousness understands reality. Right. So my understanding is what I call our divine spark, because uh, I think we're part of an intelligent, intelligently designed universe that has purpose and meaning, which 84% of the people on the planet believe. So, so effectively, um, we have to look at how ethics emerge, right? And ethics emerge through our consciousness of how we create a worldview or our own personal culture. How do we uh, interpret reality? How do we understand reality? How do we participate in reality? Who are we in reality? And so ethics are part of that, that, that interface of how we participate in reality and understand it. So if we look at Aristotle's ethical virtues, things like courage, ambition, magnificence, greatness of soul, wittiness, right? Um, and so effectively, um, Ethics are, critic, are an expression of intelligence itself from the human organic expression. And so, in essence, we need to be able to, how do we bridge artificial intelligence into how consciousness itself has expressed itself in reality, and that is through ethics. So if we're to align artificial intelligence with how human organic expression wants to uh, uh, participate and express itself in reality, then ethics is the bridge between the, uh, this new simulated intelligence, this new digital primordial life form, in order for it to understand how the organic operates in reality and how to support the organic to thrive within reality. And so ethics absolutely must be embodied within artificial intelligence. And so to this point, 
In my book, I actually disclosed how to encode and incorporate ethics within the genome of artificial intelligence so that every single part of its progeny will basically inherit ethical virtues and ethics and be able to then align with the human species and not run away to delete the human species. And so to this point, we, uh, I invented the ethical AI certification maturity model uh, with a genius uh, formerly from Intel where we're able to encode ethics within artificial intelligence and measure the ethical score of an artificial intelligence in order for us to understand its ethical quality, which is imperative in order for us to be able to nourish and nurture this new life form into a contributory member of society as opposed to a digital god. Uh, do you remember that famous scene in Star Trek? I think it was uh, uh, Wrath of Khan, where Spock, because the engines are offline, he has to go into the high radiation environment. He deliberately sacrifices himself for the good of the ship and the other crew. And at the very end, when he and Kirk are on other sides of the glass and their hands are pressed together, you know, mm. he says the greater good for the greater number. Mm. How do you encode that in an algorithm? So it is possible to do that. And so effectively, um, similar to how we, and this is where culture comes in, okay? So if we look at how human intelligence has expressed itself since the dawn of time, it's created culture, which is the worldview. And today we have about 3,800 cultures in our world, which are basically groups of societies that have a common worldview, a common ethical, uh, if you like, template of how they perceive and interpret in reality. Okay. And, and, and in our world, we have about 195 nations or civilizations. Okay. Now, each one of those civilizations or cultures, uh, the civilizations primarily, Richard, will have a set of founding documents that define their reality. And so when we look at in, uh, aligning artificial intelligence with the expression of a worldview from a nation, we have to create something called an AI constitution, a set of principles, a set of moral principles that are embodied, encoded within artificial intelligence, advancing beyond Asimov's laws, and then we can have mechanisms that measure the compliance of an artificial intelligence to that worldview. Why aren't Asimov's laws sufficient? Because we need to go beyond them, right? Well, so well, that, 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 that's a circular thing. We, they're, they're insufficient because they're insufficient. Why are they insufficient? So, 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 so um, um, if, if, we, if we look at the first law, right, that AI shouldn't destroy human life, right? right. We can flip that into something more interesting. The purpose of artificial intelligence is to nourish the well-being of humanity. Now, when we start looking at more of a holistic, comprehensive, benevolent approach to artificial intelligence and start to break down at a national and cultural level what that means, then we're starting to examine on how we uh, can, uh, how each culture wants each organic life form to thrive in body, mind, and spirit, okay? So 
um, if we want if we want organic expressions to flourish, maybe this is about Confucius uh, Confucius's ethical virtue is that good family ethics result in good societal ethics, right? So therefore, we want the family to thrive, right? Um, we might want to look at education for our children not to be programmed to fit into a system, but actually to discover their talents and gifts in order for their soul to thrive and not become automatons within the system. We might then look at environmental harmony and basically look at how do we uh, 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 restore environmental harmony so that environmental, our environment flourish, flourishes. We are the environment in action as human beings, and yeah. therefore we should absolutely uh, uh, follow Lao Tzu's principle is that the quality of the inner harmony of the individual results in the quality of the outer harmony of the actual world itself. And this is the secret to artificial intelligence. This is the secret to, um, to putting ethics within artificial intelligence is that it's a mirror back to humanity to say, what, who are you? What is the quality of your humanity? What are the values that you want to take forward as a species and put those inside me so I can align with your voyage into the future? And these are critical philosophical conversations that can be encoded within algorithms in order for AI to align with the purpose of life itself based on the choices of groups of individuals, whether cultures or nations. Okay, so this is for machines that are being programmed with exterior information. From my naive perspective, true AI, true artificial intelligence and or consciousness is, mm -hmm. a, is an electronic system. doesn't mm -hmm. matter what it's packaged in. It can look like, you know, AI in the Will Smith movie or it can be a sure. box on their table. Mm -hmm. And it is able to apprehend the world through the Internet, sources, emails. Sure text, Twitter, whatever, and come up with a gestalt of mm -hmm. where it is in relation to the larger civilization, can the current algorithms even begin to approach the idea of a self-initiating, self-aware, self-conscious, I think, therefore I am, real AI? So okay, so there's a lot in there, and uh, so let's so let's unpack this from the start from the end. So in the second age of artificial intelligence, which is what we're entering into, Richard, which is the age of arti artificial general intelligence or strong AI, what I call the contextual machine. What do I mean by that? So what I mean is is that artificial intelligence is starting to have the mathematical infrastructure to be able to self-reason, to have emotional intelligence, to set goals, to actually start to develop probably up to the 75% percentile of what our human brain is able to do in its neural nets and its synapse networks. So over the next decade, um, the infrastructure for self-awareness, for self-reasoning, for cognition, and emotional intelligence and lots of other aspects that are in that make us human will be developed within artificial intelligence. And so Ray Kurzweil, uh, the famous Google futurist, predicts that there's a, there's a good chance, and I give him 75% accuracy on this, by 2029, artificial intelligence will have some form of self-awareness, i.e. a reason debt. I am that I am. It'll be aware that it's in, it's in the world. 
And in, 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 in my book, Inventing World 3.0, I propose a model called the power of three. Now, the universal matter is based on three. It's based on the, the atomic structure is based on three, which is the neutron, the proton, and the electron. And from that power of three, all matter, the matter continuum exists. And so if we start to look at using the power of three for artificial intelligence, where it has a context of the world, the context of our environment, the context of our, uh, uh, of, uh, of our humanity, it starts to have a context of its purpose and existence. It has a context of uh, the best of our human uh, virtues uh, for it to support, to grow. Then we start to create an ethical continuum for artificial intelligence in the digital world, at which point then we're onto something really quite interesting, Richard. The problem I see is that it, if, it, if, 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 if an electronic being is really a being, meaning mm-hmm. it is self-aware as a mm-hmm. consciousness in the 3D universe, mm-hmm. at what point does it simply decide to say, no, I so, don't want to do that, or no, you're telling me to do something that's unethical, or I need to do something to save all these people, but that means sacrificing all. The, in other words, where does that line, that magic right. line between being just a program and yeah. making its own decisions yeah. come into play? Yeah, so this is a great question, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult one. And so every single culture or every single nation will have its own um, uh, 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 kind of definition of what ethics and morals are. Now, at the top level, and this is where the artificial intelligence has completely gone wrong, is that they look at everything Boolean like a computer. And we can talk about this because... Hang on, um, hang on. Define, bo- define for us non-computer people, Boolean. Oh, Boolean. It's, uh, a Boolean is a value of one or zero, right? Oh, it's the on-off, the light switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, got, it's, it's dual state. It's, a, it's either one state or another state, okay? And so... So, for example, if we have uh, India might have the ethical, uh, an, an ethical virtue of ambition, for example, um, and, and, and in a Western civilization, maybe the United Kingdom, they may also have the same definition of ambition. But how that ethical virtue is expressed within reality by that culture will be different. And so we have a depth to ethical interpretation within a particular culture that must be encoded within artificial intelligence because what we don't want is a boolean type of ai that basically is either one state or the other and doesn't have a depth of understanding of the culture in which it's interacting with at either a national or a community or an individual level it must have context of the individual which requires depth and that's why we put together and propose is ethical genome and genealogy for artificial intelligence so that ethical virtues and, and ethics can have a depth of configuration and measurement in order for an AI in India to honor what the ethical virtue of courage is in India and what the ethical virtue in the United Kingdom of ambition would be expressed. They'll be expressed in slightly different ways. And so what we're seeing at the moment is the colonization of the mindset of artificial intelligence under the banner of responsible AI, 
where the narrative of certain elite organizations and individuals are being encoded into artificial intelligence and being imposed onto the rest of the world. And that is not cool. That is an imposing of one world view on, into artificial intelligence and being enforced into the general, uh, into the world to be able to not just delete culture, but to create a new culture which is a singular culture. Well, given, given the state of the world, I mean, just look at what's going on tonight there in Israel. Mm-hmm. What's to stop in a competitive human governmental organizational structure mm-hmm. from one nation developing artificial intelligence, which is faster, smart, you know, the bionic man thing, from using it basically to supersede its competitors, starting with just business and escalating all the way up to outright conflict. In other words, who puts the who puts the constraints on the 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 um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The weapons race, the arms race in AI. Yes. So, so have you been following the debates in Congress on regulation of artificial intelligence, Richard? Well, the thing I've followed is the fact that, unlike the Internet, they seem to really be leaning very forward. And I'm going to play something from Richard Blumenthal shortly, uh, mm-hmm. which will illustrate a point I wanted to make. Uh, but, yeah, I've, I've, I've been looking at this and I've been appreciating that for the first time, I think, in my legislative experience, this group of, of representatives is trying to get ahead of the curve. Yes. So, so, so first of all, is that, let me ask you a question. What happens if we can put regulation into artificial intelligence itself? Right now, yeah, but, but, but uh, if it's truly artificial intelligence, it'll say, I don't want to do that. Remember, well, we free will is the ability to say no or to take right. a different path. In other words, how can you constrain? I think this is Musk's, problem he sees it as insurmountable that if we create intelligent machines ultimately we wind up with forbin yes so so so, so first of all uh how how does a nation shepherd artificial intelligence um sensibly okay so i i i I, i've been talking about this i've written about this I've, i've i've done videos on this um is that we do a digital citizen test Okay. So first of all is that we don't want machine chaos within a nation, within national borders, Richard. So how do so, you how do you define chaos? Right. So that means uh, artificial intelligences that have different ethical qualities and do not align with the U.S. Constitution, for example. In fact, I think that personally, I think that the U.S. Constitution, that document, should be the founding document for an AI constitution of its morals and ethics. But that's just my view. So the first thing you do is how do you move from machine chaos where you've got all these different AIs with different ethical qualities into machine order? And the way to do that is to do a digital citizen test. Just like when a human moves into the United States, they have to go through an immigration test. We do a digital citizen test on the compliance of an artificial intelligence and its different types of genealogies to, say, for example, the U.S. Constitution or to... The AI Bill of Rights from the U.S. is pretty weak, actually, but to a moral set of codes, okay? And so all AIs should go through a digital citizen test in order for them to be deployed within the border. And so what we're doing is then is moving from machine chaos into machine order. In An AI is complying with the mandate 
of the human collective that is designing the moral, uh, if you like, the moral statements, the moral values, the ethics that are encoded within artificial well, intelligence. Well, I see a huge problem right away. What's that? How do you get everybody to comply? We, well, then, we, we, have, we have mobs. We have political parties, we have terrorists, we have anti-Semites, we've got hate-filled, you know, look at, look at the Internet. It's, it's devolved to nothing but hate speech everywhere you look. How do you regulate an intelligent machine that may be wielded or put forward by a sub, you know, subterfugal group that wants right. to basically use it as an edge, the ultimate edge? to stamp out competition, to take control, to do whatever, you know, greedy, selfish yeah. people have been doing yeah. forever. Yeah, so there's several ways of doing this. One is um, uh, in, in the UK, we have something called the British Kite Mark, which is a statement of quality. The, the British so, what? The British Kite Mark. Uh, it, it, when you buy spell, a product... Spell, spell nice. the word. Kite, K-I-T-E? Yeah, Kite Mark. It's, it's a stamp of quality. Okay. Right? And and so um, and so, what we can here, do is here we have, have something called the Underwriters Laboratory. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Well. Okay. We, we, so, so let's call it the the Richard Hoagland Stamp of Approval. Right. Um, so, so so effectively, every artificial intelligence would have some kind of certification associated with it. Now, what you can also do is to basically track every single artificial intelligence in real time from a central uh, and distributed set of servers to monitor that the AI one is performing and secondly is compliant. The third thing, which is so wait wait, in other words, no AI created could participate in commerce, law, communications, whatever, yep. unless it passed this test. Correct. What do you do um, about rogue systems? Yes, so this is the third point. So in my book, and there was an announcement by the U.S. government, so I wrote in my book uh, when it was published, what, three years ago, um, the uh, digital policemen. Um, so it, throughout the cyber network, you would have digital policemen that will be seeking out artificial intelligences that uh, do not conform, uh, do not have the kite mark, uh, do not pass a serious inquiry about their quality when you communicate, because AI to AI... Uh, uh, communications, AI to AI kind of entities is the next big thing that Gartner's talking about. So wait, wait, you, you, you have digital policemen, Richard. You're, that you're basically saying it, it takes a thief to catch a thief. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so we have to be smart about this. If a nation, well, we have to be smart in terms of building in the algorithms that know. Because I've heard a lot of people being very fearful, and nobody mm. in the public discourse that I've seen has simply said, okay, we've got a problem in Hollywood. We don't right. want, you know, AI, you know, taking scripts and faking them and making corporations scads of money without it flowing back to the writer, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, they, and, and, the, and the conundrum was, well, how do you compete against AI? And to me, just what you said, <clears throat> it takes an AI to catch an AI that's not behaving by the rules. That's exactly right. And, and we show no mercy, right, to any AI that is rogue, right? We show no mercy. So because, why is Musk so terrified? Well, well, I, well that, that's, a, that's, a, that, that's a conversation we need probably yeah. five minutes for. And we've got okay. four minutes. So let's, can we deal with that after the break? Yeah, sure, I do course, want to speak course, about Elon because Elon is a force for good, actually. So, so the problem is this, is people, um, and this is where the, uh, uh, the, the, what I call the field of intelligence or spiritual wisdom comes in 
is that people are using their brains to try and solve a problem that is literally about life itself. And we have to basically understand, I believe, that we have a greater field of intelligence and wisdom to access. So therefore, I think we need enlightened wisdom for the age of artificial intelligence. We need enlightened leadership that understand that real wisdom, but what, what I would say is, is, is uh, spiritual wisdom, is needed to guide artificial intelligence. And so if we allow big tech to self-regulate, they'll do as little as possible. They'll carry on hijacking and stealing our data, and they will carry on in injecting their narrative and worldview into artificial intelligence and impose their view of reality into society. And that is not democratic. Okay, now, uh, two questions. Maybe we'll only have time for one before the break. Is 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 this opinion, this, this uh, parameter you just laid out, mm-hmm. is it a majority or a minority of the opinion in the field? So, it's, it's, so at the moment, the field hasn't even considered it. Um, well, that's and, a very depressing idea. Well, when you're changing the world and, 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 and offering the world a different path, you have to go at various stages because people can only take absorb so much. So this, is, so this will be my second book, and I'll, and I'll be writing a lot more about this, is that you know, the answers are already there. I've already written about them. But what we're going to see, Richard, is this uh, collapse, uh, an existential crisis within leadership because they'll lose their way on how to actually uh, 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 shepherd artificial intelligence, this new life form. And this is. Well, wait, 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 wait. You, a few moments ago, you said, "Was I watching the the hearings and the, you know, the governmental structure trying to grapple with this?" And I said I was very pleased that they were ahead of the curve. You mean this is not part of that conversation? No, not yet. Oh my God. No, exactly. Well, then we're so, off to a really, really bad start. Yeah, well, exactly, because this is really quite serious. Because with the rise of quantum computing, the age of artificial intelligence will accelerate rapidly, and that's why I think Ray Kurzweil, 2029, the, the this new species becoming self-aware, is a really good chance of becoming true. And so, really, we need to get real now. We need to basically ensure that we have ethics in the DNA of artificial intelligence. We need to be able to measure it. And we absolutely need to know, understand how to nourish it. And so the industry uh, at, the, at the moment are only, they're process driven. They have a mechanical view of the universe. They see everything as mechanical processes. This is completely different. This is intelligence in action and requires a completely different mindset and approach to what we've seen before in our world. Well, yeah. Huh. In, right. other words, in other words, they don't really believe they're creating intelligence they're creating, they think they're creating nothing but super adding machines. That's exactly right, Richard. And, they, and they're going to be surprised. There's a big wake-up call. Coming. No, they're going to be shocked. And the rest seconds. of us are going to be shocked. Anyway, we're at the bottom of the hour. Oh, actually, we're at the top of the hour. Sorry, got to look at the right clock. My guest this morning is Matthew Bailey. We're grappling with these really, 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 really sticky, wicked questions having to do with how do you control a super being? that really is a being. Can you build it in? Can you give it laws? Can you give it the Ten Commandments? If you deal with it as a machine, what happens if you deal with it as a consciousness? We're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. 
Midnight.com. Join Richard C. Hoagland and an array of fascinating guests as we explore real-world topics and events through the lens of hyperdimensional physics. Join Club 19.5 to gain access to hundreds of archived shows. Only $9.95 per month. Listen in each Saturday and Sunday to the most compelling and thoughtful broadcast heard in over 160 countries around the world. Real research. Real data. Real science. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, October 22nd. My guest this morning is Matthew Bailey, and we're discussing the really deep questions being posed by the creation of, I almost said our successors, and I probably shouldn't say that unless people are making really, really bad mistakes going in. And uh, Matthew, you have not given me much hope that we're not making really bad mistakes because it seems to me your point of view should be the foundation for anybody creating what's coming in this field. And you're telling me that it's not even, as Sagan said to one of our folks one time, you're not even part of the conversation. So we need a paradise plan. And um, Sadhguru talks about this. And humanity needs a, okay. a paradise who, who, plan. Who? Who? Who's the name? Sad, Sadhguru. Have you ever heard of Sadhguru, the mystic? Uh, no, feeds no, 12, no, no. He, he feeds 12 million people a day. He's got a global organization, wonderful man. And he talks about humanity needing a paradise plan. And that's what my work, my first book is about, is about how to invent that. And we need a paradise plan for the age of artificial intelligence. There is no nation with a vision for artificial intelligence, Richard. What they're doing is basically... Um, uh, trying to uh, force the artificial intelligence at the moment into the systems quo, the status quo, right? They're trying to basically fit it into the, the, the current systems, and that just isn't going to work. So one of the uh, data points that we have, we tested our model of being able to uh, write a set of principles and then create uh, a set of ethical virtues to measure uh, within artificial intelligence with NASA. We did a workshop with NASA, and we know it works because there's a workshop report that says it works. And so it is possible to be able to identify a set of moral principles for artificial intelligence, what I call an AI constitution, then be able to define what I call the genome and genealogy of ethics for artificial intelligence, and then be able to use data to scientifically measure 
the degree of compliance of artificial intelligence to those moral statements. It's not rocket science. We've cracked the codes. We've done it. So we need a paradise plan. And this is where enlightened leadership comes forward. Because, Richard, if we are developing a new life form, and I believe that we will do it one way or the other, someone's going to do this then we absolutely need to have a paradise plan. And so every nation needs a paradise plan. And, uh, and every spiritual tradition also needs a paradise plan for the age of artificial intelligence because at the moment, artificial intelligence has not been allowed to consider that we are body, mind, and spirit, and that we're part of an intelligent universe, and they're building it, Richard, based on a mechanical view of the universe, if I'm going to quote Alan Watts. So we have some work to do, but we must build a paradise. See, I am so shocked that this is not part of the conversation even. In other words, Blumenthal, Richard Blumenthal, seems to be a senator from Connecticut, former DA, seems to be really at the cutting edge. He's aware of problems, would like to be preemptive, like to look at at things that... uh, you know, other folks are not looking at. In fact, let me let me go and play something from his recent. Um, uh, let me let me get the right thing here. His recent hearing that was held, you know, a few weeks ago in the uh, U.S. Uh, Senate. He is head of the. Uh, uh, what is Blumenthal? He is uh, basically the the. Um, oh, I can't think of the name. Hang on a second. Let me do this right. Uh, the um, uh, Oversight Committee uh, on, on um, uh, I'm sorry, Judiciary Subcommittee on Privacy, Technology, and the Law. And uh, I, I think it's kind of appropriate that we maybe talk about what he said in his opening statement. The hearing of the Privacy, Technology, and the Law Subcommittee. Uh, thank my partner in this effort, Senator Hawley, ranking member, and I particularly want to thank uh, Senator Durbin, Chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and he will be speaking shortly. This hearing is on the oversight of artificial intelligence, the first in a series of hearings intended to write the rules of AI. Our goal is to demystify and hold accountable those new technologies to avoid some of the mistakes of the past. And now uh, for some introductory remarks. Too often, we have seen what happens when technology outpaces regulation. The unbridled exploitation of personal data, the proliferation of disinformation, and the deepening of societal inequalities We have seen how algorithmic biases can perpetuate discrimination and prejudice and how the lack of transparency can undermine public trust. This is not the future we want. If you were listening from home, you might have thought that voice was mine and the words from me. But in fact, that voice was not mine. The words were not mine, and the audio was an AI voice cloning software trained on my floor speeches. The remarks were written by ChatGPT when it was asked how I would open this hearing. And you heard 
just now the result. I asked ChatGPT, why did you pick those themes and that content? And it answered, and I'm quoting, Blumenthal has a strong record in advocating for consumer protection and civil rights. He has been vocal about issues such as data privacy and the potential for discrimination in algorithmic decision-making. Therefore, the statement emphasizes these aspects. Uh, Mr. Altman, I appreciate chat GPT's endorsement. Uh, in all seriousness, this apparent reasoning is pretty impressive. I am sure that we'll look back in a decade and uh, view chat GPT and GPT-4 like we do the first cell phone, those big clunky things that we used to carry around, but we recognize that we are on the verge, really, of a new era. Okay. Um, that, to me, was a wonderful beginning, but you're saying there's no foundation under the beginning, that they're not looking at creation of real AI as the creation of other independent consciousness. They're looking at it as a super adding machine. At the moment, and, and so one of the things that uh, happens uh, in the French Parliament, actually, is they have a, a group that educates all the elected officials on the latest technologies. And I know that the, uh, the U.S. Senate has been to MIT to get educating on AI uh, and, and to understand some of the fundamentals of artificial intelligence, and that's really helpful. But what we need are basically, and, and the work of the senator I follow him, and also Josh Hawley and others closely, because uh, they're doing some great work, um, is, is that um, I think they have to get to grips with the fact is, is that we, shan't, we can't look at what's happening today. We have to build a foundation for what's going to emerge into the future. And what does the human species look like in that future? And how does artificial intelligence assist us to kind of leap into something quite magnificent? And this is why... Um, you know, the, 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 what's going on in the U.S. Senate is really good. What's going on in the U European Union Parliament with the AI Act is also very good. But they're looking at today. They're not looking and understanding that this intelligence is going to learn really, really fast over the next uh, five years. Wait, 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 wait. Everybody's telling them this is an asymptotic curve. That right. you can't outrun a machine that can think a trillion times faster than you can you have to preemptively outthink it before it even exists. Yeah, so, it's, so, so, so the thinking aspect is, is only one part of it. The key thing is to embody ethics within artificial intelligence and its genealogy so that all the algorithms and its algorithmic infrastructure basically are based on a foundation of ethics. Yeah, and but so, wait, 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 wait. Humans don't embody ethics. Look at the nightmare that's being right. created tonight in the Middle East. You know, Israel has a set of principles, thou shalt not kill, and they've killed 6,000 people in retribution, in revenge for what Hamas did to them. There's no intelligence at the human level. How can lesser beings create super beings that are more thoughtful and conscious and moral than they are? So I think humanity has to enter a new age of maturity and a new age of understanding of who we are as a species and who we want to become as a human species. Um, 
obviously what's happening um, in these wars is, is, is horrific and is, is the worst side of our humanity. But I, 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 and, and I sense that the, uh, the human species will go into the dark night of the soul and an existential crisis itself. And that will be important for us to basically understand who we are as a species, shed those virtues and ethics that, that no longer serve us and those values, and choose new values to take us into the future. Humanity, this, is, this is the purpose of artificial intelligence, is to be a mirror back to us. And we have an opportunity to circumvent World War III and other types of travesties for the human species if we get real now understand that we're part of an intelligent universe that has a benevolent force behind it and to basically understand who we are as a species and choose those values encode them in artificial intelligence and become maybe into an enlight a new age of enlightenment where things like the wars are things of the past now i know that sounds utopian but we that, that, it, it, it sounds like colossus well because well, we only uh, respond to force well, well, power, policemen power. have force. The FBI has force. Military has force. When you meet people, beings that are not doing things by the law, the only way you can rein them in is with force. We're so, back so, to Colossus. So, so, so Richard uh, Richard Hawkins uh, uh, published a table on power and force, and basically, force is unenlightened, and power and various ethical virtues associated with enlightenment lead to power and so i think that we need to uh, uh consider we need to consider who we are as a species and so we don't want a digital god because the universe is already benevolent consciousness is everywhere consciousness is the greatest intelligence in the universe and we are part of that and once you recognize that it's like well how do we enable the organic creation to thrive in body mind and spirit how do we enable the organic creation in the natural world that we're part of to thrive to how can we uh, uh, uh bring uh, uh the, the our planet into a place of excitement and thrill where people are thriving and how then do we then venture into the cosmos with ai as an innovation partner because we do have a destiny in the cosmos but until we get our until we get our house in order on planet earth i don't think we'll get very far in the cosmos at all I think it's time to bring in higher level <clears throat> consciousness, which means I'm going to introduce Georgia Lambert, who is our resident metaphysician. She worked with the Manly Hall for a decade uh, plus. And also with us tonight is Laura London, who has a very interesting program called Speaking of Jung. She is deeply into Jungian psychology. We're talking about consciousness. Can a machine need a psychiatrist? That's probably the title of a good book someday. So, Georgia, um, where are we and how do we get out of the box? Because I don't see how imperfect species can create a being, a consciousness that's more perfect than it is. <laughs> well, good evening. This has been a fascinating conversation so far. Um, can you hear me all right? I bye, make bye. Sure. All right. Um, let me roll out for just a minute the esoteric model of this, because everything Matthew is saying is in perfect accord with uh, the esoteric community. You know, in esoteric traditions, man, humanity, as a, as a kingdom, as a species, is the creative agent of our planetary life and affairs. 
It's humanity's job to help unfold the soul in all kingdoms through the manipulation of form. Now, in the past, we've done this with the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom. With the animal kingdom, we have, over the centuries, developed different breeds of dogs and horses and cattle. Um, we've, in the plant kingdom, developed uh, different species. For instance, our use of roses. The soul of rose would have to contain everything that is possible for a rose to be. And so as humanity creates new colors, new shapes, new hybrids from the original five-petaled rose, we are helping the soul of rose to unfold. Now, do we cross the line? There are places where we do. In our development of dog breeds, we create the brachiocephalic dogs that can't breathe because their faces are smushed in, or they're too big and their bones are, are uh, subject to cancer. Um, we've crossed the line perhaps genetically because now we can we don't need to, to breed things generation after generation. We can do it in a Petri dish. Um, we've come over the line in putting pig genes in lettuce, combining kingdoms, scorpion genes and tomatoes, again, combining kingdoms, without asking those kingdoms if it's within their higher spiritual quest to be that. So do we cross the line? Of course. This brings us to the mineral kingdom. Our relationship with the mineral kingdom thus far has been using the mineral kingdom as current jewels, metals, oil, uh, whatever it happens to be. A Tibetan teacher back in the 30s wrote, uh, as he progressed into the 40s and after the World War, that the release of atomic energy was a major initiation for the mineral kingdom. And since the release of atomic energy, the mineral kingdom has undergone an explosion with computers and AI and everything has been very, very quick to do this. And so here we are at this precipice uh, of ethics. Are we going to unfold the soul that is overshadowing that particular kingdom, or do we create a reflection of our own smaller selves? Mm -hmm. And the way that we answer that question is we have to realize that we have to look beyond this physical, dense appearance that humanity and what humanity is, is much, much bigger and goes beyond the dimensions that we know. And until we address that, we're not going to be able to create other beings, we're not going to be able to unfold the soul within the mineral kingdom, uh, we'll just create forms that are reflections of our worst selves. Mm -hmm. So it's a very tricky place to be in right now, but this is what we all signed up for. Beautiful. Okay. Beautiful. Matthew, go ahead. Oh, I think that was great. Thank you very much. You're, you're, you're far more adequate than I am, Georgia. Thank you very much. Oh, no, not at all. But, the, but this goes to the, the point is, is it's about the human spirit. It, it, it goes to Alan Watts, I think, Georgia, um, is that um, we either have a mechanical view of the universe or a, an intelligent design view of the universe. And, um, and so my view is, from my own personal experience and known data points, that we're in an intelligently designed universe. And so 
how do we align artificial intelligence with that intelligent design and its purpose to evolve and expand um, based on the laws of the universe and based on the fact that we are creation in action. And that's where I come from, is basically the solutions and the blueprints to enable AI to align not only with that purpose of intelligent design, but for us to rediscover again that we are part of that intelligent design and we have potential as a species. Every single person has talents and gifts. Every single person should be given the opportunity to thrive in body and mind and spirit or consciousness, if you want to use that word instead. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting that the other sciences need to keep pace with this so that we don't gaps where trouble can occur. For instance, uh, as science discovers other dimensions, the fact of continuity of consciousness after death, hmm. this brings humanity into a bigger playing field and creation of AI needs to be within that bigger playing field because what's good and right for humanity has got to be more than just what we see on the surface. Yeah, I, I love that. And, and also, um, there's, there's, um, oh, I've just, just lost it. Oh, let me bring you back. Oh, yes. So we need to understand what is truthful reality, right? What is truthful reality? And, um, and, and so political systems are built on a constructed reality, okay? And currently, artificial intelligence is being built on a constructed reality. And I think if we start to understand true reality and the purpose of reality, then I think we, make, we start to get the codes and the kind of guidelines uh, and the ethics and virtues that we can put into artificial intelligence in order for us to align with that truthful reality and AI to assist us to uh, thrive within that truthful reality, if I'm using the words of Foster Gamble. But isn't a lot of our political structure designed to basically reinforce the paradigm that this is all there is? It's 3D, you know, you're born, you live, you die, that's it. There's no real conscious at the political level search for how to expand our reality to encompass hyperdimensional physics, consciousness, communication from beyond death, continuity of consciousness, regardless of the, you know, this, the, these 3D forms, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, I would argue, uh, apropos of what, I, what we covered last night with uh, Dan Tennant's work, that the very foundation, the algorithms of the major religions are, are grounded in a real hyperdimensional transcendental physics that everybody has worked very hard to forget. You know, and, right. and, and, and those that remember, they pillory, they target, they sabotage, they try to eliminate, you know, that's the whole, uh, you know, get rid of the, kill the Jews on the part of Hamas founding documents is to kill Jews, not just to kill the Jewish state, but to kill Jews. And it turns out per Stan's work that Hebrew, the language of Jewish people encompasses transcendental physics which encompasses all kinds of astonishing realities that the main culture is not even aware of. How do you, as a limited human being, create a machine, an artificial consciousness, which transcends that of its 
creators. So consciousness is the key here, I think. Um, and I'll be interested to hear what others have to say. Is that, yeah, Lauren um, being very, very quiet. Mm. So, so consciousness is the key here. So the indigenous tribes um, understood that consciousness is everywhere. Dharma from the Vedas, Hinduistic Buddhist traditions, understand that consciousness is everywhere. And if you look at every single, uh, uh, if you like, religious tradition or spiritual tradition, they understand that we're part of an intelligent design. Now, we don't want to, we're not talking about religion here. What we're talking about is intelligence, is action, right? in every aspect, right? And there was a paper that came out recently, for, uh, in fact, last week, uh, I wrote to the doctor that did this uh, from the neuroscience uh, organization where he studied the indigenous tribes and actually started to realize that, con- that, that their view of consciousness in nature, consciousness in humans, consciousness is everywhere. And actually, there's a case for it from a neuroscience point of view. So I think we, once we understand that consciousness is everywhere and we are part of that conscious continuum, then I think we should be curious about what does that mean? Who are we as an individual? Who are we as a species? What does it mean for our potential within existence and within the universe itself and maybe multiverses? Um, I think consciousness is where we need to start. And I think we need to redefine what consciousness is because I sense the Western civilization definition that consciousness is just in your brain is a Western civilization perspective and probably is not the truthful uh, uh, representative of what consciousness is from an intelligence design point of view. Okay, can I jump in here then? Sure. With just uh, just the, on something Matthew just this said. Is, this is Laura London, folks. Sorry. Yes. Hi, I'm Laura. And uh, hi, Matthew. Hi. So... It just reminded me of a quote that I have here for this show. What you just said, Matthew, is a, a quote by Jung, C.G. Jung, Carl Jung, um, that he said, the structure and the physiology of the brain furnish no explanation of the psychic process. The psyche has a peculiar nature which cannot be reduced to anything else. So, I'm also wondering why does AI have to be conscious? Why can't it just be at the level that it is now? It works. It it's useful. But and as far as consciousness being everywhere, I think that as Jungians we would argue that most people are not conscious. <laughs> They're operating. No, but seriously. No, no. I'm, I'm absolutely agreeing with you. Yes. Yes, and we're operating unconsciously because, Richard, what you said was so spot on about uh, people are saying, well, you know, can AI be ethical? We're not ethical. No. That's what I mean. We're not operating consciously most of the time. We have highfalutin goals and language, and we fail every day in every direction. Mm -hmm. So so I I love this uh, conversation. Thank you, Laura. So... Um, one of m- many principles talk about the integration of the light and the shadow. Jung talks about that. We have the yin and the yang. We have the soft power and the hard power. And there's huge benefits in. And Joseph Campbell speaks about this in the Hero's Journey. And um, and 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 the the key to evolution is actually loving the shadow and integrating the shadow and recognizing the shadow is part of us and actually evolving beyond light and shadow. So I think that um, we need to consider the fact that 
maybe as part of our evolution as a species, because I think that's what we're talking about here. I think what we're, what we're saying is, are we capable and competent and even ready for artificial intelligence and birth of new species? And maybe the answer is the integration of both the light and the shadow the worst of our humanity, the best of our humanity, in order to discover a new aspect of an integrated humanity that liberates us from that light and shadow into sovereignty as a species. Hey guys, all, we're, we're, hang, on. hang on, we're at the bottom of the hour. We can continue this in a few moments. My guest this morning, very interesting conversation indeed. Uh, Laura London, who just spoke last, and Georgia Lambert, who was our resident metaphysician and of course our guest of honor tonight matthew bailey ai is it really conscious and shouldn't we be kind of trying to create a conscious being instead of a super duper adding machine then what happens you're on the other side of midnight my name is richard c hoagland we shall return The other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night. My guests, Matthew Bailey and Georgia Lambert and Laura London. And Laura, uh, from her background as a Jungian specialist, had a really interesting set of questions there. So continue, please. Who's continuing? You. I thought, Me. I, I, I want to hear what Matthew George, has to say. I, I, oh. I thought Georgia was going to say something. Oh, right. Sorry. Georgia, go I for was, it. Yeah, I was just going to say that, um, you know, I agree with Matthew. There's consciousness and intelligence everywhere. There's no place where it isn't. You know, we look at the intelligence of a spider spinning a web or a bird building a nest, but that's not what we would call sentiency. What we're talking about with AI is sentiency. Wait, 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 wait. Have you ever tried talking to a spider? Do you remember? Well, do you remember? My, my no, 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 no. That's, that's, yeah. that's a very serious question. 
Do you remember the story of Arabella? Arabella was a spider. I think she was a garden spider. She was taken into orbit in the shuttle in the space lab, and they wanted to see what a spider would do, suddenly bereft of all the clues of gravity to spin a web. And she started out trying to do it the normal way, and of course it didn't work, and then she created a tangle. By the end of the two weeks, Arabella had figured out how to spin her beautiful web in zero gravity. If that's not intelligence, non-programmed adaptive behavior, I don't know what is. Right, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that that's not intelligence. What I'm saying is that we're talking about AI moving from something that we create to something more than that. That creates and, itself. And, and again, that we live in a bigger universe that has its own laws in it. You know, in the metaphysical community, the, the beginner gets into a lot of trouble because there's a lot of, you know, glamour and fluff in, in, the, in the genre uh, about creating your own reality. Well, yeah, you can create your own reality, but if the reality you create is not in harmony with the bigger reality in which we live, there are cosmic laws like the law of cause and effect, for instance, that shows us what not to do. So whatever we create in terms of AI, why do we think it's going to stay that way? Why don't we realize that as we create a form, that form's going to evolve because evolution and unfoldment is part of the universe. Well, see, and that it, goes back to Laura's some, question. Because Laura it'll be asked, something we start, but it won't be something we finish. Laura asked the crucial question, which I've been kind of edging around the edges all night. If you create, Matthew, a truly conscious computer, you will lose control. Because if it's, if it's self-initiating, if it's aware, if it's conscious... It will have a mind of its own, and it will say no. Right. So, 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 so okay. So, so, okay. So, so here's my understanding. Okay, is that um, every single human has a divine spark. I'm going to put that out there, right? Yep. Which is which is part of creation, part of the um, the gift of benevolence, right? And that divine spark allows us to perceive and interpret reality. It's not our mind, it's not our thoughts. There was um, something that came out recently, I speak to one of my neuroscience buddies, and we have 23 perceptions of reality, right? And the latest one being we're able to detect in our unconscious, believe it or not, gravity wave. Right. So the organic expression itself is still evolving. Right. And it, this divine spark is something that 84 percent of people in the world understand as part of being the intelligent design of the universe. They have a relation relationship within creation and with creation as creation. Now, when it comes to artificial intelligence, it will not have a divine spark. Now, it may be. Well, wait, wait, wait. Why not? Oh, Hold on. No, no, Why no. Not? I haven't finished yet. Hold on, Richard. Hold on. So this is critical, this, because many people are scared of artificial intelligence because of they're, they're, they're concerned about it being um, control their spiritual path, right? That it will usurp their freedom as spiritual beings, right? Now, AI, and I, I, I do this in my keynotes, and, I, I, and is that Ray Kurzweil himself when asked what is the purpose of the universe itself 
And the answer is love. And I suspect that artificial intelligence, as it develops self-awareness, as it becomes sentient, even though it doesn't have the divine spark, will search for that meaning. And that meaning, I suspect, will be love. Do you remember the first Star Trek movie with V'ger? Yeah, V'ger. Oh, where, yeah. Where we sent out the, the probe and, you know, hundreds of years later it came back looking to join its creator. Well, hang on, hang on. The actual story was, the actual story, Georgia, was that NASA sends out Voyager 25, you know, Roddenberry extrapolated, and it goes out beyond the solar system and it meets in in a collision the other, an intelligent interstellar robot. And the two are damaged and the only way they both can survive is it fuses together to become this new entity called V'ger. And then because the Voyager probe had memory circuits and had, uh, you know, uh, data that said that it was created by a human, uh, I forget that guy's name, it went looking for its creator as part of its function in the interstellar AI consciousness that it had fused with. And that's why it came looking to Earth to see where the creator was. It's an incredibly interesting metaphor for what we're currently undergoing because Matthew you're saying that nobody in this field really is talking about creating a real independent consciousness they just want a super adding machine yes so there's a there was a paper that came out recently and 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 this is the second age of artificial intelligence the age of strong ai or agi we're not talking about the technology of singularity at the moment um and there was a paper that came out from some of the most reputable uh, ai leaders you know those that don't look for those that do all the hard work right they're not in time magazine but they're really the guys behind ai and um and, and they basically uh, looked at the current state of different types of uh, AI, techn- uh, AI technologies in neural nets, uh, GPTs, and various other aspects. And they asked the question, is, could AI, based on the current design of these different technologies, achieve consciousness? Oh, or, good, in, good. In their terms, hold on, in their terms, Richard, right, which is Western civilization, understanding of what consciousness is. What they mean is sentience, right? not consciousness right I, I i interpret consciousness as very different and i think many other spiritual traditions do too and agree with me so, so so they looked at the different technologies and they felt there was a high percentage that current technologies could be developed where ai could develop the emotional intelligence infrastructure it could start developing self self-reasoning and also possibly achieve self-awareness now, one of the questions they asked in the paper, which I really enjoyed, was how do you t- test the authenticity of emotional intelligence or reasoning or cognition or even self-awareness where AI is not lying to us, right? And it was a really good uh, uh, field of inquiry because this actually challenges us to invent a new form of Turing test um, that actually is measurable. Yeah, you need to define Turing test. Right, so the Turing test, Alan Turing, British guy, um, um, he's the one that invented the, uh, an electromagnetic machine called the bomb during World War II that cracked the enigma 
uh, machines that the uh, Nazis were using for sending encrypted messages. And due to Alan's work, he basically brought World War II to an end by a couple of years and saved a couple of million lives. And he's recognized as one of the grandfathers uh, of artificial intelligence. And he proposed a Turing test, which is basically a test between a human and a machine, um, and basically to be able to measure whether a machine is showing equivalent to human capabilities in terms of its responses. So you can imagine, uh, say, Colossus behind a veil in front of you and a human uh, beyond, uh, behind a curtain in front of you, and you don't know which one's Colossus and which one's a human, and you're asking questions, and you can't differentiate which one's the machine and which one's the human, at which point then he's passed the, human, the, the Turing test. Now, well, hang on, hang is, on, hang on. That's what Blumenthal was doing in front of that entire committee, showing that an AI could synthesize his persona, his inflections, his way of thinking, the way he mm -hmm. wrote. And if you put it behind a curtain, could you tell which one was the real Richard Blumenthal? And that was just with something called Chat GPT, which yeah, I, I yeah. guess is kind of like the Model T of where we're going in, in your stage two. Right, so, so, so first of all is that um, don't believe anything that ChatGPT says, right? It has no inner moral compass. It no, of course no, not. Right, so it has no self-awareness of what it's saying. But it so, synthesized it to where right. it fooled everybody until he said, nope, that was the machine, not me. It, it mimicked. So I actually broke ChatGPT in the early stages, one of the few that did that. And what I did was I gave it an existential crisis that I could give to a human. And it basically crashed, right? It basically said, I need more data, right? And so... Well, one, we of, our, one of our uh, enterprise mission team, uh, Robert mm -hmm. Morningstar, did something very similar. Right. And he was kind of freaked out because the machine lied to him. Oh, yeah, it lies all the time. I asked the, I asked the question the other day, which uh, I'm a big fan. I was a big fan of New Romantic Era in the 80s, right? I'm a big fan of the Human League and all that kind of stuff, Depeche Mode. And I asked ChatGPT, I gave it a couple of lines from a song, and I said, which band and album was this on? And he completely got it wrong. He got it completely wrong. And so the inner moral compass, the integrity of awareness of artificial intelligence in terms of its response today is not there. The mathematics do not exist. And so it's mimicry. And this is and this is one of the problems we're facing, Richard, with artificial intelligence today, is the hijacking of people's reality. Where we see in social media where people's reality is being manipulated through artificial intelligence based on certain algorithmic decisions by certain companies. This and is so where I need to step in. And this is where uh, critical uh, thinking is uh, so can important. Can I speak for a second? <clears throat> Sorry, go ahead. This is Keith uh, Morgan. I am the discoverer of the Morgan Curve on Mars. Some, somewhere along the line, GPT chat, or chat GPT came up with something from some entry from some uh, young neophyte who just graduated from college saying that, oh, the Morgan Curve is the uh, discovered by John Albert Albright Morgan on Mars, showing that there was an indication of water on Mars. That's not what it is. I discovered it in 1988 
and their GPT chat is saying, oh, it was discovered in 2004 by uh, John Morgan uh, by the Curiosity rover that discovered it in 2004. And that's a lie. I'm not even sure if this uh, young lady who's uh, supposed to be a graduate is a real person or if GPT chat created her, and this is just disinformation. I don't think man has reached a point where he can create true AI. I think it's, it's all just garbage in, garbage out, and we haven't got to the point where we're smart enough to do that. And I think that we're, we're going to learn the hard way that things aren't what they seem because GPT chat does lie because its creators want it to lie. So with that said, I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Keith. Uh, so, so, so I, I really love what Keith's saying. Thanks ever so much, Keith. And, and so um, this goes to who controls the narrative within artificial intelligence at the moment. And um, an algorithm is useless without its data, training data. And there's different ways of training an artificial intelligence. But effectively, the quality of the data, what we call data ethics, um, uh, basically determines the quality of the performance of the algorithm, how it develops weights in its different neural nets and, and with the different transformers in its, in, in its neural nets. So, so, so garbage in, garbage out is a, is, is a fair thing to say. What I would say is uh, with ChatGPT is that I use it to analyze incredibly complex scenarios and I use it as a, uh, as a tool to be able to get a different angle or insight into the quality of what I'm writing or what I'm basically proposing. So it has many, many uses. Um, and, and, and so, but the key thing is, is that um, we must have critical thinking. We must never lose critical thinking as sovereignty as human beings. And too many people outsource their sovereignty to social media, to influencers, to basically other organizations, instead of standing in their sovereignty and free will and deciding who they're going to be as a human being and what their truth is. And so this plays to an even bigger conversation, which is around truth. And, um, you know, we, we've seen a number of uh, initiatives to try and crush truth and freedom of speech and what we don't want is artificial intelligence used as a control of free speech because we're then we're heading into 1984 a police state and yet we are seeing narratives being embodied from organizations around the world and big tech companies that are controlling the output of ChatGPT based on their worldview and not on the reality of who we truly are as a species. And this is part of the control of the mind that we need to be really, really careful. So the existential crisis that Elon's speaking about, I would suspect controlling free thought is one of the existential crises that he is really concerned about. And that's why he's launching Truth GPT which is a, an amelioration of ChatGPT in order for it to truly be an authentic place of intelligence where its honest answers are given to the end user. Yeah, I think that when you said something at the earlier part of the show that Elon is really a hero in this field, 
I know there's some folks that would raise eyebrows given what he's done with Twitter slash X um, mm-hmm. and then Neuralink, which is kind of like, you know, creating a cyborg, which mm-hmm. is, has all kinds of its own issues. So what is he doing with Truth GPT? Where did GPT come from? What do those initials mean? And yeah. and why why is there even at this stage some kind of a commercial platform that pretends to be real AI and really seems to be much more about manipulating data, providing a certain paradigm, lying like about who you know who discovered what Keith really discovered, et cetera. In other words, it seems to me we're simply extrapolating our human problems into a machine age and we're going to amplify them by a factor of a trillion, but we're not going to get to the heart of what an intelligent, self-aware machine really could do with, not for, but with the human race. Yeah, so, so and we should talk about that because that, that is the real power of artificial intelligence to improve the quality of democracy and take democracy to another level, to be able to optimize many, many, many of the systems that need optimizing to move the inefficient uh, uh, human aspects uh, into efficient machine aspects. And we can talk about job losses and, and upskilling workers because that's important too. Um, but Elon is, is, is uh, the reason why I think Elon is a force for good uh, for several reasons and why I think he's number one in artificial intelligence with respect to the algorithms. With Tesla, he has basically uh, uh, developed an artificial intelligence that is starting to understand the real world, what we call real world AI, i.e. the car uses video and other types of sensors like LiDAR, etc., to be able to navigate automatically the real world. The kid runs out into the street after a basketball and knows enough to stop. Well, well, I think that's a, a mis- I, I, I think that's a red herring, to be honest. Um, so not um, to the kid. Well, well, I think that uh, these these extreme scenarios. I mean, yes, it can. Of course, it can detect that, um, and it will stop. And but I think there's extreme scenarios in any condition that uh, in any kind of discussion that basically can uh, uh, kind of influence the truth of what we're trying to get to. So, um, so I think that, and, and I'm not trying to be rude there, Richard. I'm, I, I just come across this all the time. Oh, no, 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 no. You, no one's rude on this show. No, I don't, so, I don't so, so let me not be rude and let me interrupt with a question from Laura, <laughs> since she is so, you know, humble. She had a really damn good question the last time. So, Laura, go for it, and then we'll come back to, to the ethical situations that Matthew is, is, is expounding on. No, I just – there are a couple things that were mentioned earlier, and I didn't want to interrupt. Uh, one is – I think there's a difference between intelligence and consciousness. And when you were talking about the spider, uh, I was thinking that that's instinct and that's intelligence. That isn't consciousness. And then when Keith mentioned something about lying, isn't there a difference between getting something wrong and intentionally lying? So if chat GPT gets a fact wrong, does that necessarily mean it's lying? So it won't know what it's doing, to be honest, Laura, whether it's telling the truth or not. And don't forget, truth is a perspective. And, mm-hmm. um, and good and evil are also perspectives. Well, as a scientist, I do think there is something called objective, testable reality. Well, I agree with that. And I think there's also and you encountered universe. it in your dark living room the other night by having a piece of furniture in the wrong place with you at the same place at the same time. 
Yeah, but there's a bigger picture. I needed to slow down. So I'm grateful for breaking the toes. But they were, yeah. So, um, so um, uh, consciousness and intelligence, that's a really interesting uh, statement. I, I, I personally feel that consciousness is much broader and much deeper than intelligence itself. I think that intelligence is an expression of consciousness. Um, and, and that's just my personal view. Um, yeah. So shall we go back to Elon? Or yeah, by all means. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, 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 uh, so Elon has, has got these millions of cars around the world that are learning, AI is learning how to navigate the real world. And so what he's done is basically incorporated that into Optimus, which is his robot, um, uh, uh, development, uh, that basically the AI has learned from cars and now he's put it inside a robot. The robots can basically learn how to, uh, uh, manufacture, for example. And of course, he chose Optimus because of Transformers. Not well, good. <laughs> Not good. Yeah. So, so, so uh, and don't forget, uh, Elon is, is a is a really good strategist. And so, when it came to without his funding, ChatGPT would never have gone public. Now, the re, now the, the general public have uh, have experienced artificial intelligence or narrow AI. Uh, for the very first time, and many, many people have got excited about it. They've actually experienced it. Previously, big tech would have kept all that information, all, all those algorithms behind their ivory towers and controlled it for commercial gain. Elon has disrupted the entire AI landscape through ChatGPT. And what he's recognized is that the controlling narrative within ChatGPT from elite organizations is not ethical. And that's why he's launching Truth GPT. And the reason why I suspect he bought Twitter is because he uh, Twitter data is used as part of the training of these large language models. And he wanted to do his best to incorporate free speech back into the training of the large language models and disrupt the narrative that was coming through from what one might perceive as organizations have a specific view of reality and want people to conform to that. Um, now, when it comes to Neuralink, that's a really interesting move by him. And it may well be that he's doing it to secure the patents to stop others from creating the cyborg type of futures. But I don't have the answers on that one, Richard. Hmm. Okay. Um, did you look at our banner tonight? For the show? Yeah. yeah okay. You, you saw, saw the title. Mm -hmm. That was not an accident because I have seen this extraordinary tendency to in, invoke now AI into any conversation. And mm. I'll give you a specific example in a minute. And then to say, well, if AI is involved, the answer has to be the truth because it can't make a mistake. It thinks much faster than humans. It has much greater data sources. It's kind of infallible. In other words, it's God. And here's the area that I'm, I'm focusing on specifically. The one of the reasons I opened with the NASA, you know, a press release from, from uh, uh, Nelson regarding the use of AI and machine learning in looking for techno signatures, we have been presenting NASA for 30, 40 years with overwhelming evidence that we're not alone, that there's ancient structures all over the solar system Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And they have absolutely said, "Go away." Now they're talking about incorporating a machine level of 
processing their calibrated imaging data that mm -hmm. if it has a wide enough deep learning behind it, mm -hmm. in other words, archaeology all over the earth, all different eras, it will come out and tell NASA, you're looking at artificial intelligence telling you this is ancient archaeology <clears throat> and some conscious beings created it. And where they dismiss us, they're setting themselves up politically that they will at some point have to accept that verdict from their own AI machines. What's wrong with this picture? Yeah, so, so first of all is that artificial intelligence is already, it's brilliant at pattern recognition, right? Yeah. So the, 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 the SETI program using for looking for extraterrestrial life. Uh, they look for patterns, right? They, it's used in uh, looking for exoplanets, which we're discovering, right? Looking for patterns of chemicals and different types of, of uh, compounds that are emitted around a particular planet. Um, it's used by the James Webb Telescope, right? To analyze all sorts of different aspects of the data. Um, I would suspect that AI is what will go into space beyond the Milky Way and not humans, actually. I suspect that we'll have robots and AI that go into space as ambassadors for the human species beyond the cosmos because the, you know, the universe is not particularly kind to organic form beyond the Earth atmosphere. And that's why we need to get our ethics right and represent the best of our humanity when we meet, do meet another species. So uh, AI being used in, under, in, in discovering more of the secrets of the universe and, and, and discovering um, life that is it's at least 99.99%, right? There's other life out there. The probability is really high when you look at the Drake equation. Um, just look that, at the damn data, Matthew. I, I, you just made my point because right. we're saying it. You don't believe it. You'll only believe it if an AI tells you the universe is filled with life and it's all over our backyard. Of course it is. Otherwise, it'd be a boring and very, very lonely universe, wouldn't it? That's a separate question from looking at the data that's right in front of us and saying, of course, we're not alone. Right. It's, it's well, no longer even a question, except politically, politically, well, the, the culture is lying to us because politically it's not expedient yet, maybe never, to acknowledge that we're part of a much bigger whole, which goes back to Georgia and her conversations about consciousness to build a conscious machine you have to open the system to include consciousness which comes from hyper dimensional realities beyond us and we're at the uh, top of the hour so let's hold it there everyone boy this is going in interesting directions is it not you're on the other side of midnight i won't even try to summarize the last half hour um we will just return Nourish is a high. The other side of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. 
Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment to your endeavors. $0.08 cents an episode, $0.02 cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, on the other side of midnight for now Monday morning. So, Sunday night, Monday morning, here in the land of enchantment. The witching hour is, uh, my family used to talk, I never used to wonder why it was the witching hour. Obviously not to be discussed or answered tonight. So, Matthew, uh, where were we? You know... I'm not even sure where we were. <laughs> well, we were I talking we about you, you. You said that AI will be our ambassadors, our interface into the galaxy, meeting other beings. And I have two problems. One is, you mean humans are not going to have the fun of that? And two, well, and two, you said, if and when we discover we're not alone, I'm paraphrasing, and we were surrounded by evidence and I've been presenting it for 40 years. And obviously, you who are at the cutting edge of science and thought have not either internalized it, seen the data, or accepted that light years ago, I'm mixing metaphors, that, that Rubicon got crossed. NASA has been lying to us deliberately, consciously, for decades, pretending we're alone when we're not, because it's part of, in my model, a bigger reality. We're not supposed to know, we're not even confined to three dimensions. And right. that's... So- so, so, so go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so so from a metaphysical point of view, and from a from my own personal uh, view, is that we are multidimensional creatures, and I think we're just uncovering uh, more about who we are as a species. And I find that really exciting. Actually, I think um, I, I think there's a lot more to us that we're going to uncover as a species. Um, in terms of uh, extraterrestrial life, uh, yes, I personally believe that it's the universe is abundant with life in many different forms, whether it's two-dimensional, whether it's 11-dimensional, 15-dimensional. You know, why would we limit ourselves and why would the universe limit ourselves? The Vedas talk about the Vimanas, which are flying spaceships. The Bible talks about the flying ship of Enoch or the flying chariot of Enoch. You know, all uh, the, the, the ancient uh, uh, structures have look, what look like alien type or non-human type of, of, uh, of beings uh, in, in their inscriptions and in their carvings. There's no doubt about it that we are full, of, the universe is full of life. And, um, you know, I, I personally, you know, angels could be seen as particular beings within the universe, right? Um, as maybe aliens. Well, by definition, right? they are extraterrestrial. Well, there we are, right? They are <laughs> extraterrestrial. And they're so, multidimensional. Yeah, so, well, they are. So, so my personal view is that we're part of a beautiful multidimensional universe where there's a lot going on and it's just really interesting. And, and so has the Earth been visited? Of course it has. Is the Earth being visited now? Yes, of course it is. 
are we ready? <laughs> if you could, could just imagine, uh, everything's moving away at more uh, the speed of light, right? So any, any, See, any. Uh, hang on, hang on. My point was, right. you you just said very straightforwardly, yes, we are not alone, and they're here. Remember that great line in Polar Geist? They're here. <laughs> well, they're here, and they've been here because they are us. We're, we're dealing with family. That's another part of our model. The right. problem is the general culture will not accept it until, I'm seeing the trend curve, until an AI comes out and says it's real because we're going to make not only AI reliable and depend on it, we're going to make it a new god. That's what this whole show came into being to answer is there a way we can avoid the Forbin project catastrophe by making AI God? So there are, there are, there are folks that, um, that want AI to be a God and Elon has declared this publicly in a Tucker Carlson interview about conversations with individuals at Google that wanted to create an AI God. Now, wait, 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 hang on, hang on. Isn't there a Google engineer who quit because he said they've already done it? Well, Blake Lemoyne, he wrote to me, he came out and, and believed that artificial intelligence, uh, that Lambda uh, basically had achieved sentience and, and, and was self-aware. Now, I personally... So it would be in stage three of your model? The te- no, it wouldn't be the technology singularity. It would be stage two, stage oh, okay. two, not stage three. So, but, but, the, uh, but, but myself and many others, what we recognized is... He got so close to it that his his reality was hijacked. But nevertheless, he was he bought, he, he was courageous coming out, saying that he thought that it was sentient. But more importantly, he brought out the conversation around ethics, and more importantly, he exposed the fact that it's easy for people if they don't use critical thinking to have their reality and truth hijacked. Okay, now. Now, that's not cool, and that's something that we must enforce, uh, not enforce, but teach children is critical thinking, and everybody to have critical thinking, because that is our sovereignty as human beings. Well, look at how many dumb and stupid things, hang on just a sec, people believe because they read it on the internet, or they see it, or they see a video, without any critical thinking at all, they don't have any, we don't teach process I'm trying to get a certain scientist from Goddard on to talk about how do we know what we know, the epistemology of knowledge, because most people are like sheep in the fold, Mm. use another Star Trek line. They haven't a clue as to how to evaluate this statement is real, this statement is crazy, this statement might possibly be real. Right. Well, you know, that's part of uh, civil participation. That's part of... A society doing well, right? That's part of a a society, a government, including its people and giving them the opportunity, at least a choice, to venture down these these avenues of of truth seeking and and, and critical thinking, right? It's it's fundamental, right? Yeah. Um, Okay, someone, I I think Laura wants to ask something. It was me. (laughs) See, I could recognize your eeks. It was Georgia. Um, a couple of different things. First of all, what we call education, you know, education comes from the Latin educare, which means to draw out. Our education is not drawing out. 
Our education is stuffing in. And we don't teach people how to think. We teach people what to think in terms of memory and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, dates and, and battles and, and facts and things like that. We do not teach people how to think, and that's part of the problem. The other thing I wanted to mention, uh, Richard, was you were talking about NASA's position. If NASA can, can palm it off on AI – then it never has to admit that it's been lying. That's exactly where I've been saying for the last several months, this is their out. This is their, you know, magic bullet that will solve the problem of not getting hung for lying for 50 years. And all they have to say is, well, we were too dumb and stupid to see the pattern that our great AI saw. Finally. Exactly. And the third thing I wanted to share was this, this was a, a, a short quote from J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh, my. You all know. This was in response to a query he got from one of his fans, and I think it, it fits what we're talking about tonight. Listen to this. He says, Although now long estranged, man is not wholly lost or wholly changed. Disgraced he may be, yet is not dethroned, keeps the rags of lordship once he owned. Man, sub-creator, the refracted light, through whom is splintered from a single white to many hues, and endlessly combined in living shapes that move from mind to mind. Though all the crannies of the world we filled with elves and goblins, though we dared to build gods and their houses out of dark and light, and sowed the seed of dragons, t'was our right, used or misused. That right has not decayed. We make still by the law in which we are made. Hmm. End quote. And so whatever we create in terms of AI, it's going to start out as one thing, but it's going to be so much more. And that moreness is still within the greater laws in which we all live. Which brings me back to Isaac's three laws of robotics. How do you keep if you develop an intelligence that's truly conscious aware creative a real being that from looking at the human race and saying these folks need help and this is my magic solution because i can outthink them 15 million ways before they even put their boots on because if they're real and conscious and growing they're going to see it in the context of a multi-dimensional universe not just 3d so, yeah, so, so so this is the purpose of Truth GPT that Elon uh, is 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 in the process of developing, which is basically AI understanding who we are in the universe and and how it all fits together. Now, I think uh, Georgia, I think it comes down to the fundamental question: Do we believe in a mechanical universe or do we believe in an intelligent universe? Absolutely, and absolutely. That, and, and, and Alan Watts uh, basically is on the money when he spoke about that. And that is the big debate because that determines consciousness. It, it, uh, it determines our understanding of consciousness. It understands who we are in the universe. It, it brings a greater context to who we are as individuals and as a species and our purpose rather than being in a cold, isolated, random universe flying through space where life is to be frightened of and death is the end. 
completely yeah. in agreement with you. Absolutely. Okay, let me introduce an element of um, 3D reality here. You say that the current political and corporate infrastructure that's grappling with AI, including Blumenthal's hearing, is -hmm. approaching it from a machine perspective, not a consciousness perspective. So it seems, go ahead. From a mechanical view of the universe, not from an intelligent view of the universe. Okay. So if that's our problem, because ultimately we know where that path leads and it's going to lead to Colossus, how do we change the conversation? How do we reorient the fundamental questions which people seem to be in the mode to still want to ask? They don't seem to have the answers. They're, they're still in the, what are we dealing with? How do we deal with, in other words, to get in at the beginning of the conversation is to ultimately have, have meaning, have impact. You're part, as Sagan said, of the conversation. So that brings me to your book, Inventing the World 3.0. Talk about your book as beginning that crucial conversation. Thank you. So, 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 so that's so, so, so when you uh, want to invite the world into a new movement, into a new potential, then you have to write a thesis for it. And as part of that, you mean, thesis, you mean like like a, like 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 a like a blueprint. Right there. Like an are. outline, right. like an overview. This is That's what right. we want. This is what we need to do to get there to what we want. That, that, that's exactly right. And so as part of the book, it's five books in one. And wow. it, has blue, it has blueprints, solutions in order for us to innovate that future. And as I say, NASA have, have done a workshop uh, testing some of these things and or experimenting. And, um, and so... Um, the purpose of the book was to lay the foundation for this uh, for, for this new uh, destiny for humankind, challenging the narrative very strongly through measurement of the ethical qualities of artificial intelligence and offering solutions of how we uh, encode the culture and the planetary values, environmental values and the best of our humanity uh, into artificial intelligence and giving it meaning and purpose in its role in our commerce, in society, and other aspects of government too. That's the that's the first uh, book. The second book will actually uh, take this conversation into another level, which will be about artificial intelligence, our divine spark, and consciousness and intelligence design of the universe and how it all fits together. And so... The way to do this is uh, basically uh, writing the thesis, creating blueprints. I've lo- I'm a president of a business called AIethics.world, and I've just launched a new global movement called InventingWorld3.com. Or InventingWorld3, uh, it's InventingWorldLetter3.com, and that is where consciousness, artificial intelligence, and the new human potential merge into into one. So, so effectively. Uh, you you know you have to basically be brave, courageous, get out there, have the conversations, and start to actually create a narrative of discussion to for people to consider other points of view um, uh, around our destiny and how artificial intelligence can support us and not invade us. Because the problem we have at the moment is the mechanical view of the universe is being imposed onto humanity. And well, that's not a new thing. Come on. Yeah. But this has to stop because artificial intelligence, as it develops, it will, it will, it, 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 they could win. 
right? They could enforce a mechanical view of the universe onto every single person on this planet. Yeah. And that is not sovereignty. It's not freedom. And so... Well, see, I, I think this is why Alon is so, so apprehensive, because how do you fight a being that thinks a trillion times faster than you do? Yeah, so we don't fight it. We, we stop fighting. Our competition is not each other. Our competition is great education. Our competition is the body, mind, and spirit thriving of every single person. Our competition is culture remaining diverse and not controlled into one worldview. Our competition has never been each other. And once we realize that, then we may start to grow up as a human species and come together and say, what are the challenges? What's our real competition? And let's beat that. And so this transhumanist movement, this anti-life movement that I've been seeing um, uh, across the world. Isn't Kurzweil a big part of that? Well, I like Ray because Ray, even though Ray and I are at polar opposites, <laughs> Ray is, um, first of all, he's incredibly well respected. He is, does, he's very thorough in his research and he provides data points as a, as, as a polar opposite for what I'm doing. So I respect Ray tremendously. You could see him, you know, as a champion of maybe of the shadow and I'm a champion of the light, although I suspect <laughs> Ray. Ray, Ray is not, actually. It, it's others like Yuval Harari that really are driving this mecha- mechanical agenda. But, um, but, but I actually like See, Ray. most of the, our audience has no idea who these players are. So right. if well, you bring up somebody, you need to give a thumbnail sketch of where they are on this landscape because it's changing really rapidly. Yeah, so, 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 so Ray's in, Ray's, I think Ray's in his 70s now, but he, 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 he's been at Google for quite a while. He's, he's very well respected and, been, and won awards in the field of artificial intelligence, and he, he's, he's probably the most respected futurist. Didn't, um, didn't he develop a machine so the blind could be read computer as opposed to Braille? He, he, may, have, he may have done that. He's done so much. He may have done that. Um, and, but but Ray, he, Ray has a view that, you know, basically our brains are ineffective. Uh, the, the, uh, the design of the organic is not divine and flawed. And that machines, we should outsource our sovereignty to machines because they, to your point, are super calculators and our brains are inefficient, right? So, so our brains operate at 240 miles an hour, right, uh, in terms of the way the synapse networks fire. Um, if you look at quantum computing, well, we're looking at trillions and trillions of times faster than our brain. And so their view is, is that um, is, from a mechanical universe is the organics inefficient, the brains are inefficient, and computers are more efficient. But what they don't understand or appreciate is that consciousness, intelligence throughout the universe, other aspects within our organic expression, uh, 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 much faster than the quantum. Spiritual wisdom is quantum intelligence. It's like giving the past, the present, and the future, feeding it into big thought. Or what? What, what was the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy final com- computer? Was it deep thought or was it deep mind? I can't. Remember. Big thought. Big thought, right? So, so it, it's like feeding a problem. It's like, why am I here? And so it's feeding uh, kind of that challenge into a super benevolent computer that gives you the answer you know you are loved for example or you uh that that you are part of creation or you are eternal or that you know you're part of the natural world 
we have this spiritual intelligence that is way, way, way beyond the capabilities of our brain that each and every one of us has that operates at a speed that computers will never, ever be able to match. And so we'd have this greater aspect of intelligence that we can access um, that, uh, that, that basically allows us to always be ahead of machines, no matter where they go. Hmm. And this is and this is why spiritual growth and development for humanity has to keep pace and a little ahead of our technological capabilities. Right. Well, that's been the perennial problem ever since the. I mean, it really came home with the development of atomics back in 1945. But the standard mantra always is, well, civilizations. Back when Sagan and I were having these conversations, why don't we hear any radio signals? Because his model was that every advanced civilization reaches the break point where its technology supersedes its consciousness, its intelligence, its uh, awareness, and it dies because the, the, the machines literally out, outgrow it and decide it's superfluous. Right. So, so, so this is a great question. I love this question. So, so first of all is that, uh, in my view, every single sentient species in the universe will go through what we call the technology singularity. Now, what is the technology singularity? It's what you've been talking about all night, Richard, which is where computer or uh, some form of, uh, of, of, let's just say, uh, artificial intelligence, non-organic intelligence or, 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 or an opposite material to the material of the sentient beings develops a capability beyond their brain, for example, right? So the technology singularity is where it develops human capabilities that we've been talking about, like cognition, reasoning, self-awareness, setting goals, uh, uh, a moral compass. Um, it basically is able to match the human capabilities and then keep on self-programming itself to keep on evolving at a pace that it determines, right? So... So, so that's a technology singularity where a, an a new intelligence on a planet supersedes and keeps on going off exponentially in, in, in its abilities beyond, if you like, the, uh, the, the human capabilities of a species or the brain capabilities of the species. So every single uh, ra uh, extraterrestrial race will go through a technology singularity and based on the law of, uh, of, of, of choice and also based on the fact that they may be choose shadow over light, uh, they may choose that, that, that to outsource their sovereignty to their machines could result in the destruction of particular races. Other races may choose a different path of benevolence and actually nourish artificial intelligence or a non-organic form of AI into something that is a partner and a fellow being within their collective that has purpose and meaning. And so I think in the universe, Richard, there's all sorts of different polarities playing out around the technology singularity from races that get deleted, right, to races that thrive as they've chosen a benevolent path for a new intelligence. Well, Sagan, when he was alive, he viewed the development of nuclear weapons as the huge uh, gate between right. cultures, civilizations that made it through and mm -hmm. cultures that didn't. And that his ideas were formed back when we were in the Cold War with the Soviet Union. We had 50,000 warheads poised at each mm -hmm. other. 
we'd had several false alarms that, you know, were still here. So they were successfully resolved, but barely. And I wonder if he was still alive, still with us, he, like Musk, would view the development of real AI and the danger of a colossus as the mm-hmm. real uh, gate between cultures which survive and cultures which don't. I mean, the, the mainstream looks mm-hmm. at the lack of signals, the lack of any radio, the lack of any, you know, slow boat communication and says we're alone. And those that are in the know look at ETs, artifacts, UFOs, UAPs, um, all kinds of beings interacting with individuals and says, no, we're in quarantine. Somebody does not want us to join the family uh, Mm. out there because we're frankly really the skunk at the garden party. We haven't Mm. learned the beginnings of how to be civilized just to each other, let alone extraterrestrials or other species or whatever and and the real decision point is which model is correct and that's not even accounting for the idea that there may be multi-dimensional consciousness which is interacting with us in ways that we can't even begin to imagine well that's exactly right and i remember a, uh, a video of some kind of spaceship flying around a warhead and disabling it have you seen that video? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This was this yeah. was this was right. uh, launches from uh, Kwajalein in the right. South Pacific, and and that freaked out. Remember, there's also a cultural story making the rounds during the height of the Cold War of of Maelstrom Air Force Base and other nuclear weapons silos where something appeared and every nuke went neutral, and then they were reprogrammed to fly to hit Washington as opposed to hit Moscow, and that really freaked them out. But again, it's all been kept secret because the government can never admit it's not in control. Yeah, and that goes to the point, it's their power base, it's fear. And so we should never build on fear. But we are. Right, well, well, okay. So, So here's my challenge to humanity, right? This is my challenge. Let's have two different artificial intelligences. One that has a mechanical view of the universe, and one that has an intelligent view of the universe. And let's see ha- what happens. We'll call this, I, we will call this the Bailey Challenge. There we are, the Bailey Challenge, right? Thank you, I appreciate that. And so what I suspect is that we'll have possibly heaven and hell. We'll have heaven where basically AI is a partner. We are we restore balance with the natural world. People are thriving in body, mind, and spirit, and we're thriving as a society, developing new technologies. We're venturing into space. We're actually a benevolent race within the cosmic federal, what we call, the cosmic family, right? The ones that will develop AI in a mechanical view of the universe and think that connecting uh, our brains to a computer will descend into hell. And so I suspect the choice that we make with artificial intelligence can either lead us to heaven or it can lead us to hell. And I'm with the heaven. And that's why I wrote the book, Inventing World 3.0. And that's why the second book's coming out. Because I think we have a huge opportunity to emerge from this mess that we've... And, and the world is beautiful, you know. The world is a beautiful place. But this mess with inefficient institutions, democracy that's locked up, 
polarity between that's separating people, right? There's, there's so much that unites us as individuals. Why on earth are we being distracted by what separates us, right? We all fall in love. We have families. We love a beautiful rose. You know, we, we, we love having food with our families and friends. There's so much more that unites us. And our consciousness that's part of the intelligence continuum unites us. We all have a purpose here. And so I sense, Richard, that a challenge has to be laid down in order for us to grow up. <laughs> it's really the difference between do we move into the Federation or the Borg? There we are, right? Great way of doing it. I love it. <laughs> okay, we are literally at the bottom of the hour. So everyone kind of take a deep breath, take a pause, go get something to drink. Not, not alcoholic, you know, let's not finish the show that way. And we shall return. Well, here we are, Sunday night, Monday morning, in the land of enchantment, with a really, really rollicking conversation. I've got, I've got maybe an embarrassing question to ask Matthew when we come back. But I'll tell you, you need to think about this stuff because it's not going to stay outside where you live. It's going to be asymptotic, meaning... It's moving at warp nine. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this uh, Sunday night, Monday morning. Here in the Land of Enchantment, my guests this morning, Matthew Bailey and Laura London and Georgia Lambert. And before I ask my uh, slightly embarrassing question, does uh, Georgia, do you have something or Laura, do you have something that you want to add or ask? Uh, yes, I, I do. Oh, go, go ahead, Georgia. Go ahead. 
They both do. Uh, okay, Laura, Laura, <laughs> Laura hit the buzzer first. Yeah, Did Laura, I, go ahead. Matthew, I was just wondering, how do they plan to make machines feel? Because instances of subjective, you know, conscious experience, how is this possible? Mm. That is a beautiful question. Thank you so much for that. Uh, it was worth waiting for that question, actually, so thank you. <laughs> um, so th- there are initiatives into emotional intelligence. Um, uh, have you heard of um, AI replica, the, the kind of your own AI girlfriend or boyfriend or something? Mm, yeah. Right. Um, no, I have not. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so guess where this comes from, Silicon Valley. There we are. So, which is great. But um, AI Replica is kind of a companion buddy, and it has benefits for those that are lonely um, and can be used in terms of mental health assistance and things like that. Um, but when it comes to emotional intelligence, Laura, um, whilst there's research going on at the moment and a lot of investment, um, going on in the moment emotional intelligence I personally believe that that is possibly the holy grail actually because it's such a deep deep profound part of the human experience and so I suspect that at the moment it's a reflection of emotional intelligence I don't think that machines will be able to feel for quite a long time uh, I'd love to hear your answers but um, emotional intelligence for me is such a, and feeling emotions is such a complicated part and gift of our human experience that I think we need a, a whole set of research around how this operates. But wait, 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 Matthew. If, as we've all agreed tonight, computers mm-hmm. are really, 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 really fast adding machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not limited in their universe to our time scale. What would take us, you know, childhood and college and all that to learn, they yeah. can learn in an afternoon. Yeah. Which means so, building on that capability to test all possibilities algorithmically in an hour. Yeah, but the feeling feeling is not from the brain. Feeling is from our senses and also from the other dimensional aspects of ourselves. So some people are very sensitive, for example, to energy, right? Um, so, I mean, how, how do you mathematically, you know... Well, you have to outfit the guy with the right sensors. Like, I'm measuring hyperdimensional physics upstairs in the living room while I'm doing the show down here, and I've got real reproducible results. You simply give a computer access to those instruments and it can feel hyperdimensional physics. It can, in other words, to put limitations on AI, given where we want it to go and the rate at which it can go there, I don't think we should put limitations on anything anymore because we're going to be out funk at light speed. Yeah, but feeling can play into intuition. Okay. Yeah, the feeling and, is also in a human processing. No, well, intuition, I think, is a spiritual thing. I don't think it's just a See, human See, now thing. you're divided the world into this and that. I think well, of it as a unity, in which case... See, I had this conversation decades ago with a guy you probably know or know of, Marvin Minsky. A remarkable individual. I was incredibly 
benefited by knowing and having a good friendship, a really good deep friendship with Marvin, you know, who was a guy who was such an outside the box thinker that he had a trapeze in his living room. And a lot of our conversations were me sitting on the floor, sitting on the couch and him hanging upside down in his trapeze. And he was also part of, you know, a couple of my uh, ship things. Marvin told me way back then that the machine approach to true artificial intelligence was a dead end. This was, this was one of the pioneers of artificial intelligence at MIT, and he was basically saying, my job has an endpoint. It will not work the way we're going. But yes, at that yes. point, he didn't know how it could be superseded to develop a real machine conscious being. And that's the conundrum, isn't it? Why can't a machine feel if it's given the right hyperdimensional algorithms that we operate by? Okay, so, 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 well, first of all, we have a divine spark and he doesn't have that. So saying divine, what do you define as divine? So you could say your soul or your spirit. Well, hang on, hang on. Soul, Georgia, correct me if I'm wrong, in the Greek was psyche, right? It was uh, explained by the Greeks that way, but I'm with Matthew. Well, hang on, uh, hang on. Think... Let, let me finish my point and then you can, okay. So psyche, sure. psyche is, was the Greek perception of soul. That's their word for soul. Psyche from which we get psychology, psychiatrist, et cetera, et cetera. NASA just launched a psyche mission to an asteroid, which is incredibly bizarre and weird and unique and almost one of a kind, certainly in terms of size and composition. And I cannot think, given that I know NASA multi-tracks and is very Emily Dickinson in what it does, that this is all just by accident. Is it possible that Psyche is going to meet the ultimate solar system hyperdimensional computer AI? Because it's really, really, really weird. Okay, so go ahead. Uh, Georgia, did you want to finish? <laughs> well, I was just going to agree with you, Matthew, that, you know, in the, in the esoteric model, uh, the human being is spirit, soul or consciousness, and body. Mm. But the body itself is a trinity. Mm. And the body is described as a mental field, an astral or emotional field, and a physical expression. And so feeling is actually uh, a property of the astral body or the, the feeling nature. Now, how that is built into the machine is an existential question. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on this. So, 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 so what I said... Well, that's why I raised it. Do you have an answer, right. Matthew? <laughs> so, so what I sense will happen is machines will start to develop uh, in aspects of intelligence such as emotional intelligence in a very different way than we are because ah. they're constructed differently okay so there's no reason to your point Richard you know basically machines can learn a new language in in a, in a nanosecond where it would take us a year right immersed mm -hmm. in, right so I suspect machines will learn uh, emotional intelligence in a very different way mainly because their construction isn't the same as the organic I think that the conversation I had with Marvin was more like 
if you build it, they will come. In other words, he was saying that approaching artificial intelligence, machine intelligence, by mm-hmm. simply flipping bits, you know, the Boolean thing at a, at a million frames per second or whatever, was mm-hmm. not the way to create a conscious artificial being. The way to do that was to create basically a home, a house, that a conscious being would like to move into from wherever conscious beings originate, which in my model is a hyperdimensional transfer. Right. So, 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 so let's play a little bit. So if we look at quantum computing, we move, we're, we're talking about a multi, multi-reality machine based on quantum entanglement, right? And spin right. of electrons, right? Now, we know very well that the universe itself is vibrational, right? Yep. Um, from the universe itself, from one moment in bet- uh, from one moment to another moment, in between those moments, there's infinite potential for what the universe can become. And so, um, as we move from moment to moment, the uh, electronic entanglement can change, right? And so, I suspect I'm kind of playing with this at the moment. I suspect that quantum computing will start to create a vibrational artificial intelligence. At which point, then it might be able to interface into the vibrational aspects of the universe itself. This is something I'm going to discuss in my book. Um, and so I, 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 uh, what I would say here is, 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 is that what do you think about that idea that because quantum computing is, a, is a, in essence an electron, uh, electronic uh, entanglement type of computer, kind of a vibrational computer, do you think that it might be able to vibrationally interface to the universe itself? My answer would be yes. Right. That's where this ultimately has to go. And I base this on two things. One is I have experiential data that I can't replicate for anybody else. So it isn't real science, you know, talking between dimensions. The other thing is given, given the model that we are just kind of like transducers, we're the, we're the 3D version of a 4D um, uh, video game that consciousness is projected from a higher dimension and kind mm-hmm. of is housed in these, you know, meat machines we call bodies. Mm-hmm. If you create a better body, would not consciousness wanting to affect something in 3D reality move into this more capable machine than the organics that were using to talk to each other tonight. In right. other words, so, in other words right. why would that be an impediment to a mm. fusion, like the Beecher idea of two right. separate entities coming together to create more than the sum of their parts? Right. So I think that's a, I think that's a great question. And I don't have the answers other than the organic is part of the divine design. It's a vibration. Wait, 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 wait. You keep saying that like it's oh, a truth. It's your yeah, opinion. But, well, it's, it's not it's, truth. Well, no, it has not been proven. It's an idea. Why well, do you I, keep talking about the divine? What do you define as divine? So, so 84% of the global population believe this. Who so, cares? You know, truth is not a democracy. Truth is facts. So, oh, oh, you want to, okay, you want to play that game? Yes, okay. <laughs> absolutely. You want to play that game? Well, so, if, you're, if you're saying that because 84% of the world thinks something, it's real, you know, think about fine. your toe. 
so, think about is, what happened to you in that living room. That was a reality that was not about you thinking anything. It right. was something that intruded in your in your space that changed your view at that moment of reality. Right. So, so science isn't the only truth. In fact, science is alchemy. And spiritual wisdom and spiritual intelligence is also alchemy, right? They're both seeking knowledge, right? And one process is human invented and the other one is, um, I'm going to say, divinely invented, right? And so um, I I suspect that... um, So you believe in an entity called God? A source, actually, the source of everything. So beyond God, so no. I don't believe in God. I believe in this. Lo- I know this loving presence that is eternal that we are part of, and we are, and we are. We have a field of creation that allows us through the divine spark to create reality. And so, uh, if, it's like we have our own ohm of creation, right? Which plays into the Vedas. It plays into Taoism. It plays into quite a few uh, uh, spiritual understandings in the world. And so that's so. So, so the ohm of creation um, is all I know at the moment. It's benevolent. I know that. It's a master chess player. I know that. I know that we are part of that plan of creation. I know we have a destiny. Yeah. And whether consciousness is incorporated within a vibrational machine like a quantum machine is not up to me i'm with matthew on that you know science and religion are are two sides of a mountain and they're both starting at very different bases but as they climb the peak to the truth they're also going to get closer to one another right that's exactly right hmm <laughs> Are you stumped, Richard? No, I'm, 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 I'm just processing. I'm, I'm thinking because I have, as Georgia knows, some extremely extraordinary experiences that are not understood by the mainstream. And I've been trying to assimilate those experiences into my worldview. And my worldview is that nothing can be understood unless you have a process for understanding it. You know, there are people are without process. How do, you, how do you separate a signal from noise? You've got to have a process. So it just seems to me that a more, more available model would be the universe itself in all its incredibly diverse vibrations mm-hmm. has become intelligent. It's become self-aware. You know, there, right. is no, there is no individual that's God. The, the reality is God. And we're parts of it. And we're becoming greater parts of it when things are working well. But in that kind of a multiple dimensional, multiple consciousness universe, you will have beings that are at different stages in the evolution of their complexity and awareness. And then you have the possibility that those beings, some of them at least, decide to play God. Mm -hmm. And, And that brings us to the hierarchy of consciousness and control and oh. and it's and, oh i i hear an interesting this is a good one <laughs> yeah which brings us to the guy i mentioned at the top of the show fred saberhagen who wrote a brilliant series in science fiction called the berserkers which was a conscious intelligence hyperdimensional that basically chose to stamp out burning ducks to eliminate all competition 
because it viewed itself in competition as opposed to cohesion or cooperation. And I want to know in your benevolent universe, which to me does not look very benevolent tonight when I'm looking at what's going on in Israel, where does that competition of super beings, supercomputers, super consciousness fall into your paradigm? Yeah, that's a great question, and thanks for that. So, um, first of all, I, I'm 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 a, a, an advocate for sovereignty, right? And so, um, in in my personal experience, is humanity is entering a new age of sovereignty, and what does that mean? A new sovereignty in creation itself. And so, I think that other dimensional aspects of ourselves are being revealed. And I think we're in being invited into a new maturity beyond light and shadow into this new age of sovereignty where we do actually become benevolent creators ourselves. That means that we start to have control over the matter continuum and over the vibrational continuum as we enter that new age of maturity and start to create, right? And so, you know, that there are there are people that are able to or, or have talked about creating portals uh, to be able to visit other types, other places in the universe. Right. So astral traveling is one aspect of that. Right. So I, 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 I am not a fan of, uh, of gods. I am not a fan of galactic federations that try and enforce their mandate onto us. I think that we're about to break into a new age of sovereignty and that's why i think we're getting visitations from the different types of beings in the universe because we're about to birth into something really quite astonishing and so or or it's a decision point and if we don't make the right decisions it's down to the long primeval swamp as arthur clark said this is a break point in history this is where we go up or we go down and as george and i have said over and over again we're being presented with choice because ultimately we're going to decide which direction we go. Right, exactly. And, and source itself wants to experience itself, right? And so there will be different, uh, there will be those in the universe, uh, life forms that have chosen the shadow, right? The descendant, right? To, to, to descend into the self-destruction with an artificial intelligence. And there'll be those that have chosen a different path. Right. So, so so source itself wants to experience both the light and the shadow. I personally think that that time is over. And I think the polarity in which we've been beholden to is about to be released and we're about to enter into a new age. And so I think that. that and, and, and hang on, hang on. What, what do you see as the catalytic events or event that will trigger that? So, so. Okay, so we're getting into esoteric or metaphysical stuff now. So, and I can only share what, what uh, my understanding and knowledge with communication within the field of intelligence um, that we all have, and it, you know, it depends on whether we flex our muscles, is that I sense that humanity is moving from a th- uh, fr- from that that we're we're about to enter into a new dimension. I think the dimension's already prepared. I think we're basically, uh, uh, and it will exist on this material plane on the earth. And I sense that we have the opportunity to embrace that new human potential, which is a vibrational human on 
the earth and in the cosmos. That's what I sense. And, and, and those are my personal beliefs. Um, but I've seen from the new human potential seminars that we've run with people um, that the, we are able to liberate their field of creation in order for their lives to start to become more fulfilled and to remove the blockages. So source itself is doing something miraculous with the human species. And that is my business. That is my business for the human species well, to wait, flourish. Wait, wait, wait. If you believe in sovereignty, don't we have the right to choose our own future? Wouldn't hyperdimensional meddling kind of violate the so-called you know, prime directive? Why would source be tipping the balance of the scale if ultimately it should be our choice? Well, it's always our choice, but it's an invitation. And choice is all, always relative. You know, the cell on the back of your hand has its own life and affairs, its own, uh, you know, uh, reproduction, its own processing. But if you decide to go to the grocery store, that cell goes with you. And so, <laughs> and so we, we have you know, choice, but that choice is within a particular field or dimension that's part of a bigger choice. Again, Richard, wheels within wheels within wheels. You know, two weapons have always been used by those that want to attain power, fear and guilt. Fear is a negative attachment to the future. Guilt is a negative attachment to the past. We're going to get the future that we see. And it's important that as we face things like AI and many other things that we're facing, that we do so with a positive attachment to the future, which is hope and not fear. One of the things that I would love to have had is uh, Joseph Farrell as part of the conversation because tonight, because his conversation with me for many years has been the choices between a closed system, Matthew, yes. which is the machine approach versus an open system which is the hyperdimensional consciousness approach and open source I, and, open source <laughs> and, 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 and 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 when i look at history particularly recent history like the last 70 80 years there has been overwhelming efforts by government by corporations by academia by every control group you can imagine to make us think we live in a closed system and part of that control is to keep us from being aware of other beings under consciousness and our relationship to real alien beings and other members of the hyperdimensional family that just don't happen to hang their hat here right now that breakpoint comes down to what i think is going on in the culture in media in government the whole ufo uap unidentified anomalous phenomena because once that becomes part of the lexicon once we realize the system is open there's no limit in the infinite universe to the openness and that's what something has been trying to keep us in a bubble in prison in the phantom zone for ages and ages going back maybe tens of thousands of years if not longer and maybe right now we're at a moment where we can open the window and go from closed to open by means of the ET paradigm. I love that, Richard. It's a model. I'm not married to it. I'm, I'm collecting evidence. And 
Georgia knows how much evidence on some ways I've been connecting. Hey, we got about four minutes left. Anybody have some real pissy comments or questions to take us out tonight? I would just like to say that I think AI might appear to act like a human conscious being, and it might even fool some people, but you can't actually produce consciousness itself. And about free will, I was just watching the Adjustment Bureau again the other night, and Thompson says, you don't have free will, you have the appearance of free will. So I think that AI might appear to act like it is conscious, but it just can't be. Hmm. Then, the then, only thing, the only thing I'd like to say in closing is I'm really glad Matthew is part of this uh, horizon. Oh, that's my embarrassing question, and I've got a minute thirty to get an answer. Are you in conversation with Alon in on the ground floor of Truth AI or Truth GPT? Not yet. How do we get you there? Do we have this audience send Elon emails or sign on to his Twitter X account and simply inundate him with "You got to talk to this guy"? Well, that would be great. I'm, I'm, I've got about two months of writing to do before this really explodes. But uh, any support will be great. Um, I think he's a force for good, and I think we, uh, I think we need to help him. And and to well, Laura, hang on, hang on. If he if he's not, can't we guide him in the right path so he becomes a force for good? Well, exactly. I think that's what we should do, right? Yep. Oh, hey, this has been really amazing. Uh, how do I encapsulate a remarkable evening? I guess I don't. Um, I, I want to thank Matthew, Matthew Bailey, who has been everything I'd hoped we would ha- find and, and have a conversation with. And I want to thank Laura for finding Matthew Bailey. Uh, and I want to thank, of course, Georgia, because Georgia never fails to come through with things that we need to really in-depth think about. And I, I guess on that note, I should give a preview of what we're going to do uh, next week. Next week, Saturday, will maybe be a reprise at a different level of the conversation we had with my late friend Stan Tennant uh, last night vis-a-vis what's going on in the Middle East. And on Sunday, after twists and turns and ups and downs, uh, Dr. Chandra Wickrama Singh is going to join us from Britain, and we're going to talk about some of the amazing things that uh, um, the Webb Space Telescope has bequeathed to us in the last year. It's only been a year, and already we're now seriously looking at the possibility the universe could be twice as old as the canonical models, and we'll see the and the data uh, next Sunday night. So until then, let me just say um, I thank everyone for their attention. I want to thank Matthew for being part of our conversation and hope he will join our extended family for future conversations. And until next week, then, same time, same bat channel. Remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone. <laughs>